Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 85, The Dance. Dragons die. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hello everybody. We are finally finishing off the uh, our coverage of The Dance of the Dragons. You know, both claimants that originally started this thing, Rhaenyra, Aegon, they're meeting their demise. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, the previous episodes that we've done, the previous two episodes, covered the dance and all its brutality. I mean, we started at the beginning, and we've gone through everything, even as hard as it sometimes is to talk about. The numbers are dwindling on both sides, and boy, guys, it gets even more bleak this time around, too. But we're working our way toward the, the final act. We're going to see this thing through. So if you're following along with us, guys, we're doing uh, we're going from page 506 in Fire and Blood to page 568. Yeah, and we've been kind of giving the page numbers for Fire and Blood all along, uh, but for the last several months what we've really been trying to do is working our way through the novellas that George has written, which include Sons of the Dragon, The Rogue Prince, and The Princess and the Queen, but those those novellas are basically entirely contained within Fire and Blood, and so we've really been right. kind of referencing Fire and Blood more even though we've been reading those as we go along as well. Um, so yeah, like Matt said, this this episode really concludes that effort. So we will be moving on, for those that want to kind of read with us, we're just going to kind of continue on through Fire and Blood. So we're going to start, we're just going to keep going through with the next chapter being uh, The Hour of the Wolf, and then the, the chapter after that as well, Under the Regents of the Hooded Hand. Both of those will be covered in the next episode, and we plan to just kind of uh, you know, continue on uh, through the rest of Fire and Blood until we finish it off uh, for the next few episodes. Unless, uh, you know, unless we get spicy and interrupt it with something uh, something a little different. We'll see. Hmm. little behind the scenes, Scad and I just had a big long convo of potential ideas. And we've got some things percolating. So. Dude, we should, we should Mueller report the crap out of it like redact a whole bunch of like phrases this would be an editing nightmare for you like redact a whole bunch of words but like release it to our patrons <laughs> in like a redacted thing where like we'll cover blah, 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 blah. <laughs> i will not be doing that as funny as it sounds <laughs> i've always wanted to learn editing here's my chance <laughs> there you go have at it buddy so bar can, can hire me <laughs> all right uh, uh didn't okay. expect to go there with that conversation no, we rarely do, my friend. <laughs> we rarely do. Um, but, you know, we got a lot of great ideas from uh, a bunch of you while we were at Ice and Fire Con a couple of weeks ago. Right, Scad? Yeah. We had a wonderful meetup um, with, uh, with, with a whole handful of you. We were so many more people showed up than I thought would. Dude. And that's not just me being modest. No. I, I sincerely thought we'd have like five or six. I was and, stunned. Uh, we uh, had probably what 25 30 yeah, people. I don't know. Okay. 50 90. I, it was a life yeah. my heart was full is all I know. Um mm -hmm. it was it was probably outside of some just the the casual hangouts we had. It was probably my favorite part of the con was just sitting there and talking with you guys about about the cast and what what you guys loved about the books and um yeah, it was that meetup was great. Yeah, we were on cloud nine. It was definitely an effort for Scad and I to listen to you guys after all the listening you've done to us. And I 
I absolutely loved it as well. Uh, one thing that you you who were there did for us is you gave us a lot of ideas and you really gave us a lot of encouragement. Uh, there were a couple of, of you that said, you know, no matter which direction Scad and I chose to go, um, you'd still listen because you just liked listening to us. And that meant the world to us and really uh, gave us, I think, some invigoration, if that's even a word. That, that we were kind of needing as we were kind of, frankly, floundering a little bit, trying to decide what do we do next during this big, long wind's wait. Um, so that was really encouraging, and thank you guys. But It's not going to be a long wind's wait. I heard it's coming out next week. Yep. From, yep. from my dream last night. Mm-hmm. 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 Did I, did I overshare? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, in general, <laughs> though, Ice and FireCon was was pretty amazing. Not you know, not just the meetup, but you know, meeting meeting people that we hadn't met before that you know that follow our cast, and, and frankly, meeting a bunch of people that don't. Uh, just being in that environment. I don't know, Matt. I tried to sell it to you several times. Uh, did it meet expectations? Absolutely. In terms of of the relationships built and and the times that we were able to spend with like-minded friends and fans um fans of george's work that was it was exceeded expectations you know we we had you know we we'd end up at the end of the night just kind of hanging out in the in the hotel lobby we pull a bunch of chairs around last night we had guitars out and everything and we just hung out and that to me was just it's everything i've I felt like we've been able to do digitally with Davos fingers in our virtual realm, our virtual living room of hanging out with people. And I sat back and I, I just looked around at everybody on that last night and I saw our friends, Chase and Emily and who else, you know, Yoke boy and lady Gwen and, and Beth and all these other people and her husband, Justin. And I was like, Julie, Beth, lots of people. We're missing people. And I'm so sorry (laughs) that, we're saying people who are we're not saying people who are there with us um but i just sat back and i went oh my gosh we're we're doing this this is like this is what we've always wanted davos fingers to do and here we are doing it for you know three or four hours we did it that one night so yeah. it was it although was i don't remember I whether it. we talked about the books at all if i'm honest and that was great <laughs> yeah 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 it's pretty interesting uh yeah, it was a great time. Um, super glad you could come, Matt, and, uh, yes. and enjoy it. It was uh, so special uh, to have you there. So, Right back at you. Um, keep your eyes out, everybody, for um, videos that I, I believe I saw one posted today by the Ice and FireCon Twitter account and Facebook account uh, of one of the panels. So I know that they recorded like everything that happened there um and they'll be releasing those those videos as they get them edited and do everything they need to do to them uh so keep your eye on the ice and fire con twitter and facebook accounts for those videos as they come up scad and um uh eliana and russ was that his name uh seth on the for the scene seth Yes, Seth, not Russ. Why am I thinking Russ? Seth did a marvelous, heart-wrenching rendition of the... uh, Will you tell him, Scat, not me? Uh, Well, it's it's the three is three scene with Davos, Melisandre, and Stannis, uh, wherein Davos has to confess that he sent Edric Storm 
uh, away on a on a boat uh, to get him out of Melisander's grasp, and then informs uh, Stannis about the wildlings marching on the wall. Um, it's a it's a very very powerful scene, and it was great to get up there with Eliana and Seth and and uh, put it on stage for people. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, uh, you guys will want to see that. And also, I, I think Matt teased it on Twitter, but also he did. Uh, the John song in long form, uh, live complete with uh, guitar solo, and it was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> it was just such a joy to see you perform live. But uh, man, yeah, so look for that video too. Um, and uh, th- there will be all sorts of videos. I think um, I, I did. We did the High Tower panel together, and that I think did not get recorded. Um, mm. So. Skipping ahead in the notes here, we'll have, hopefully, I'm going to try to write up kind of the thesis from that uh, that uh, panel and release it as a recorded episode here as a special episode for patrons. But uh, I don't think that did get recorded, so look for that as a special episode. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about Sis? Oh, yeah. Um, big news for the Thompson clan. Uh, my sister, as some of you guys have maybe heard already, because I brag about her all the time, is uh, a comic book writer, an author. Um, she writes for Marvel, and she was nominated for the Eisner Award for Best Writer. Um, she wrote lots of things in the past year. It's pretty weird. I mean, they keep comic book writers super busy. In the last year, she worked on Nancy Drew, Hawkeye, Jessica Jones, Mr. and Mrs. X, Rogan Gambit, Uncanny X-Men, and West Coast Avengers. And... Uh, yeah, she's been busy, but uh, super proud of her, um, super happy. If you're into comics or been thinking about getting into comics, lots of things on that list that, that are a lot of fun. West Coast Avengers is, is a blast. It's a hoot if you're looking for something a little zany. Uh, Hawkeye is some of the best writing around, uh, If you can, and that's a completed series. Now you can go get it in trades and stuff. It's really good, uh, and the Rogan Gambit stuff is right in her wheelhouse. So if you're looking to get some comics, check those out. She's... It's just been amazing watching her star just kind of climb. Do stars climb? No, they don't. They're fixed. Whatever. You know what the metaphor is. Yep. (laughs) Moving Uh, on. Speaking of uh, superheroes and all that fun stuff, we both did see Avengers Endgame, which has been out for a couple of weeks now. But you know us. We we definitely uh, hit these things when the peak is at its highest. Um yeah, <laughs> usually tail end, but uh, way past tail end. Um, but you know, we'll definitely talk about it and record it and send it out to patrons. So keep an eye out for that. It, it'll be. I have a lot to chew on with that movie. Two whole pages of notes, I think, just of like little bullet points and stuff for that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Enough of announcements. You know, as you guys know, we've been doing things a little differently with these historical episodes. You haven't heard the infamous do 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 Davos After Dark baseline for a that. while. Davos After Dark. I miss it. I do too. Uh, but as these are historical episodes, everything is fair game. So we've just been talking about everything in this universe as if it's all on the table, which it is. There's no such thing as spoilers right now. So, you know, if you don't want to get spoiled on stuff, I don't know what to tell you. 
because it's going to happen if you listen to us right now. Except um, for the show, we won't probably spoil the show. We will not be spoiling <laughs> or even discussing. Is the it show. possible to spoil the show? I heard it's been pretty bad. Yeah, let me get my um, little ding, my little zings in there. Zing, zing it in there, zing. buddy. All right, uh, this part's the same. Uh, reach out, touch us, etc. Uh, we've got lots of places you can reach us: davosfingers.com, weirdoversfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at davosfingers. You can find us on the Facebook and reach out and contact us there as well. We also have our uh, little Patreon program, and thank you so much to those that support us. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash adavosfingers. Mm-hmm. All right, let's just jump right into it. Yes, please. Uh, so, just going to give a, a little quick recap. Uh, as to where we've come, um, the Dance of Dragons started with treachery and only really went downhill from there. <laughs> princes killed as envoys, princes murdered in their pajamas, soon dragons were killing dragons across the Lower Seven Kingdoms. For the Greens, now Aegon is missing and Aemond is dead, along with their ace in the whole Vagar, which kind of was the great equalizer for them. Their only real army and allies are stuck, leaderless, in the Reach held hostage by two lowborn dragon riders. The Blacks have lost their military leader in Daemon, three princes in Viserys, Lucaris, and Jaceris, and oodles of dragons themselves. They have taken King's Landing at the moment, but hold it very tenuously as Rhaenyra's policies and brutality have quickly turned the city against her. The latest rumor even placing the murder of Helena Targaryen at her feet. The city is now in active riot. So, we'll move into the first section here, which I've titled, People Riot, Dragons Die. Here's a little quote to kick it off. There the demons dwell up there, fire and blood, blood and fire. This is their city. If you would make it yours, first must you destroy them. If you would cleanse yourself of sin, first must you bathe in dragons' blood. For only blood can quench the fires of hell. Of course, comes from the shepherd. Yeah, you need to shut up, shepherd. <laughs> Leave the dragons alone, man. Man, he. I, this all starts pretty simply, to be honest. It's and it's it's maybe a statement from George about the nature of people, uh, but they aren't going to take it anymore, right? The people have had enough. And an organized rabble basically just starts hurting people. All people. Gold cloaks, highborn, lowborn. They target some people like Bartimos Celtigar, who, you know, is the one that's kind of responsible for all these taxes that are killing him. Um, they cut his cock off for failure to pay what they call, uh, what I think Watt the Hewer calls the cock tax. It's the cock tax. <laughs> you never paid the cock tax? Uh, I've never paid the cock tax. No. Oh, I have. <laughs> Do tell? Question mark. I'm not sure I want to know. Um. Yeah, I was reading up a little bit on like mob mentality. Oh, that's scary. And how all these these people just went nuts, right? I think yeah. at some point the the book lists about ten thousand. Yeah, ten k strong. Yep. That the mobs got to. Yep. Um, and you have to wonder how many of these people are like righteously indignant and how many are just getting caught up yeah. in the fervor of it all. Yeah. I think even the book mentions that a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so I was reading about how mob or herd mentality uh, goes back to people being influenced by their peers 
to adopt like certain behaviors or do certain things based largely on an emotional rather than like a rational basis, right? Uh, they make different decisions as a group than they would make if they were making the decision individually. And they, I read about this, uh, this experiment done at Leeds University where it was a group experiment where they had a whole bunch of volunteers and they were told to just randomly walk around this big hall, like this big, huge room, right? Mm -hmm. Without talking to each other. But then unbeknownst to the majority, a select few were given more detailed instructions on where to walk. Like you walk this certain direction and stuff like that. Uh -huh. And what they discovered was that people end up blindly following the one or two people who appear to know where they're going. Right. Yeah. And so the result that they did the percentage of it and it showed that it only takes 5% of confident looking people to influence the direction of the other 95%. That's amazing. And the 200, it was like 200 volunteers and they did it without even realizing it. Yeah. That they just 95% of the people naturally followed the confident five. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy, man. Right. And some, some of that has to do with like um, having specific direction, right? Mm -hmm. Yourself to, con to contradict it. I remember I, I saw something kind of similar to that where they had, it was only a few, two or three plants in like a, a waiting room, like a doctor's office waiting room. And there would be a buzzer that would go off every certain number of minutes. And just regular people would come in for their appointments. And when that buzzer would go off in the waiting room, the three volunteers would stand up for like three seconds, and then they'd just sit back down. And the buzzer would go off, you know, five or ten minutes later, and they'd stand up, and then they'd sit back down. And pretty soon, the people coming mm -hmm. in for appointments were doing it, too. They're like, I guess, <laughs> I guess we're supposed to do this. And so they would just do it, right? And uh, at one point, somebody, I can't remember exactly what they said, but somebody's like, why, why is everyone doing this? And one of the other people that had come in, it's just like, well, I don't know. Everyone was kind of doing it, and it seems like we're supposed to. And so the other person who did it, she's right. like, okay, I'll do it, I guess. It's crazy. <laughs> but yet, if that one person had been in that waiting room by themselves with no one else there, they never would have stood up. No. Obviously. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird thing. And, you know, the shepherd is more than happy to oblige in this case, right? To just be mm -hmm. that certain 1%, and he's way less than 1% himself, but... It doesn't take much. Like you said, once you get the tide going, you know, they've got kind of a lot of gripes to begin with. And sometimes all a gripe takes is a vector, a direction, right? To, to, to point it at, a target. And, you know, he, he mentions, you know, this unnatural queen who sits bleeding on the Iron Throne, her whore's lips glistening and red with blood of her sweet sister. Yikes, man. I mean, that's <laughs> inciting language, right? And so this guy spins this yarn for people, and they spoon it up like chicken broth. And yeah, you mentioned 10, yep, 10, like, 10K, right? We're doing this? We're, this is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Did we just come best friends? <laughs> so so the gold cloaks try, you know, like oh the larger shows up. They try to disperse them, but it's 500 against 10K. And it's just not going to yeah, happen. Not going to work. Right? It's 20 to 1. Mm -hmm. So... So I, I, I try to start you know, thinking about this. Go ahead. 
No, finish your thought. Well, I was just, I was thinking, like, I could take 25-year-olds. Maybe, I think I really could take 25-year-olds myself, because it's 20 to 1. These are the ratios. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could take 27-year-olds. But nobody (laughs) is taking down 20 men at once when they're coming from all sides, right? Right. Even the fearsome Luther Largen, who's this, you know, giant hulking dude, the leader of the Gold Cloaks. Like, you're not, you're not going to win. It's too many. There's a reason, yeah, they don't let Luther Largent plan the parties. He just, <laughs> logistics are lost on him. <laughs> well, I don't know what their options were. I don't know what they could have done differently. Hide? Well, you put uh, put archers up high and just shoot everybody. Yeah. Um, disguise like, I was thinking maybe they could have disguised like some gold cloaks as rioters to get them close to the shepherd. Yeah. And then just yeah, take true. him out, yeah. cut off the, cut off the, the head. That's true. Right. It's a good Something idea. Something like that. All right. So I amend uh, my, I don't know what else you could do to, they should hire you to plan these things. There's a couple things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, Vicious Matt you're Thacker ruthless. Coming at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Ruthless Matty Thack. Yep. So in that night, in that first night where they're just kind of rebelling and basically fighting off gold cloaks all night, there's other pretenders that emerge too. It's not just the shepherd. Um, we get <clears throat> Tristan Waters, who is the squire to a hedge, hedge knight named Birkin the Flea, Sir Birkin the Flea. Um, they prop him up as a bastard son of Viserys. He's 16 years old. So they're basically saying, hey, he's the rightful ruler, this guy. Bastard son of Viserys, rightful ruler. Uh, we have yep. Game on Pale Hair, and this is the saddest one to me. He's four oh, years old. Cute little guy. Four years old. He has no idea what he's what's going on. Supposed uh-huh. bastard son of Aegon the Second. Now remember Aegon the Second. It was all over the place, horning around, you know, all over the all over the place when he was younger. So he's raised up by the sex workers in the streets of Silk as as the next king. So they've got a little kingdom going on. We have Wat the Tanner. Um, it was Wat the Tanner, not Wat the Hewer. It's my mistake from earlier. Uh, so hundreds of people flock to him. He's the guy that killed Celtigar. Um, and was trying to proclaim the end of all the taxes. So he's kind of leading a rabble as well. Um, yeah, there's something going on with this guy. Watt the Tanner? <laughs> yeah, he's just going to end taxes altogether. Yeah. And then he goes around carrying yeah. Barty's head on a on a pole. Yeah. I mean, there's some mental illness, I think, going on with maybe with Watt the Tanner. That... Yeah. Yeah, he's like, uh, <laughs> he's like the King's Landing Libertarian. Like, no taxes, like, let us live how we want. Um, Carrying around a rotting head on a pole. Well, I'm not saying libertarians do that, but... uh, So, you know, these guys have some things going for them, right? I mean, in in a a land of of no rules, you know, if you kind of give people something to follow and something to, to go with, why not? You know, Sir Perkins basically knighting anybody that joins them which is going to mm-hmm. bring people to your cause. The sex workers are giving favors to anyone willing to join Gaiman's cause. So they're, you yeah. know, they're, they're probably, uh, you know, getting people to join. And this Watt the Tanner sounds like a party, right? So, you know, people are just willing he to leaves. join up. He just, like, he, like, leaves King's Landing, right? On the second night, yeah. So, so, yeah. so Rhaenyra attempts during the day. So this all happens at night. Rhaenyra attempts uh-huh. during the day to kind of take stuff back, right? She has her gold cloaks, the ones that lived, go out. 
uh, a retinue of knights also from the Red Keep led by the Fat Manderleys. Uh, they go out and retake portions of the city along the eastern edges. I actually looked at a map, uh, Sakansus Mapas, for this. Um, the only parts they're really able to take, if you look at the gates that they mentioned in the text, are kind of right along the eastern side of, of the city. Um, and not even all of it, like kind of uh, almost like a crescent shape around um, Flea Bottom, right? Up, up to one of the gates up there in the in the northern part. So, um, yeah, Flea Bottom's basically like ground zero. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. can't penetrate it. Yeah. Um, so so they take parts of it, uh, but basically they're thrown back. I mean, the, the, they don't they don't make a lot of progress. She also during the day sends aid to Winterfell and the Eyrie. Um, she names new captains of the Gold Cloaks to replace the ones that are killed, and the Kingsguard as well. <laughs> Neither of these guys are going to last too long, so don't bother with their names. Um, she keeps her sons near to her, right? She's not going to let them do anything, even though Joffrey's begging to go ride his dragon and, you know, disperse the rabble. Um, and I ask again, maybe, Matt, is Rhaenyra too cautious? She's got Cyrax just sitting there in the pen. Dude. I get that you'd put down the rabble, but this is exactly what everyone in King's Landing is afraid of, is dragons coming and burning them up. If you actually do that, I'm sorry, there is no forgiveness in that world. The people of King's Landing would never, ever, ever accept her as their queen. They're not right now anyways, but there, you know, if she had done things right, maybe there's a chance for her to turn around public perception. She goes out and burns up a bunch of them with her dragon. It's never going to happen. They'll put one down, one. They'll put down one rebellion. Another's going to rise in its place. No, do not use the dragons if I, you ever want to. I disagree. Have with you. any semblance of a relationship with these people? Well, I don't think they care. Other about than that. fear-based, but I, yeah, that's I don't. Yeah, I don't think they care about a relationship with the people. So I think they should. So, so, but, but if you do that, then you're just going to be putting down rebellion after rebellion after rebellion forever because uh, they're never going to forget that. No, eventually there's only children left. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, literally, like, eventually you burn so many people, and this sounds heartless. I don't mean that I condone any of this, obviously, but like with dragons, and we've talked about them as Death Stars a lot of times, you know, like, eventually they're going to put down enough people that, you know, in the open skies where they can't be, you know, managed which we'll get to that in a minute that you know the people will have to just give up i think they don't have the ability to go ahead i don't know they'll never get over it i mean it's the same argument with we're gonna get really political here but it's the same argument with like you know sending troops that you know to different places and try to like impose our will and all you know people argue like all you do is sow the seeds of of anger and hatred in the youth Mm-hmm. Of you know the people that you're that you're killing and opposing, same thing. So I, I don't disagree, but I, I think to me, and we talked about this, way, you know, back when we were talking about the Duncan Egg episodes. To me, the Targaryen rule is based on this to begin with. So the fuck is the difference? Go burn some people. Yeah, the uh, I guess we'll disagree on it a little bit. The uh, what this goes back to though is something. We will discuss at the end of the episode as we discuss kind of the overall themes of the dance. Yeah. And I would ask the question of, are dragons worth it? <laughs> worth are what? they worth it? Exactly. I mean, is the throne worth it? I, there's there's a lot of questions to ask after after this bloodbath. 
It's interesting mm-hmm. reading reading about the dance in in with so much focus and trying to analyze it um, closer. You know, after having read it lighter, if you can do that with this, um, just kind of looking at those themes differently and mm-hmm. really how brutal and awful this whole thing is, and like nothing, none of none of this is worth it. And mm-hmm. yeah, we'll we'll talk about that at the end. You're right. Let's not skip to it. So, uh. So we'll we'll agree to disagree on that one a little bit, or maybe we'll just disagree. We won't agree to disagree. Um, so the second I agree night... that I'm disagreeing with you. <laughs> We're fine. The second night, uh, the second night, and it's it gets worse. So Tristan and Perkin looting and rioting through the riverfront area now, taking basically whatever they want. Uh, Gaemon continuing to draw supporters due to the um, generosity. Of his supporters, uh, Gamon's Gamon's group over there on Vicenia's Hill just seems like it's kind of just a big party. Yeah, they're the hippies. Yeah, yeah, the, the ne'er do wells and stuff. They all yeah. the misfits. They all end up at Vicenia's Hill. Yeah, doing their thing with uh with Gamon and his and uh, his troop. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we're painting a picture that is much less bleak than it really was. But uh, yeah, of the groups, they're the ones I would go to. <laughs> all right like i don't want to like go around murdering people let's just you know hang out together on this silky street so dude if you want to hang yeah just come over to Senyas, <laughs> man we'll be there uh and then we have watt and you you mentioned like he leaves so he takes his followers to the gate of the gods and they fight off the gold cloaks there and basically head right through them and march off into the woods with Lord Celtigar's head. <laughs> and Their so eternal mascot. the tale of Watt the Tanner. Yeah, like, gone. You, know, you have no idea. Yeah, he goes to, to the woods and become, turns into a magical uh, stag. I don't know. Gets eaten by the trees, Lord of the Rings style. Yeah, right. So, so but the, the net is, this night didn't go well. All three of the western-facing gates of King's Landing are now wide open. And if you remember right, that's mm-hmm. exactly where this supposed Hightower army is coming, as far as they know. Um, so, uh, just a quick catch-up on the Shepherd as well. Now it's up to 20k. His numbers are up to 20k now, on the second night. And he basically tells them that the only way they're going to cleanse themselves of sin is to go take down these dragons. He urges the mob to kill them in the dragon pit, and they do. They're off. Fear is a huge motivator for rabbles and rioters. Um, if they act together, they can overcome the fear and guilt that comes along with doing wrong, right? So I think that the, the one thing that you have is like, oh, self-doubt. Should I do this? Can I really do these things? I don't know if I should. But when it's a bunch of people, like you said, the mob mentality, I'm not going to get caught. He's going to get caught, right? That guilt just kind of right. disappears. You're just one in a group of many, right? So... Um, off they go. Um, so I don't know if we want to talk, I guess, I guess we can talk about, yeah, let's do that. I've got them kind of out of order for some reason, but let's talk about the fall of the dragons. So Mm -hmm. the great metaphor from Mushroom here is that he has seen swarms of rats take down bulls and bears in Flea Bottom, and that this is little different than swarms of humans taking down dragons. So there are some gold cloaks posted there at the dragon pit, but it's a really a foregone conclusion, right? There's like 50 of them, and they get overpowered quickly. Um, 
in the, but 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 I guess what it does do is it serves to be a clatter and a ruckus to wake up the dragons so they aren't taken by surprise, and the dragons mow down a bunch of people. Um, I try to as do a little, expect. yeah, as you'd think. I try to do a little bit of math. It's like an absolute minimum of 121 people based on the numbers that they give us, and a maximum of, mm-hmm. I mean, God knows, thousands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could be a couple thousand. Anyway, one by one, the dragons in the dragon pit do fall. Uh, they're not able to take wing in the enclosed space. They're so they're fighting on the ground with their fire and their teeth and claws and horns and everything. Um, so we've got a little bit of how they all die. Uh, unless you have anything to add here before I just kind of jump into that. Into those no, stories. So Shrikos, uh, she killed a score at least, but Hob the Hewer, this is my favorite of, of the deaths, jumped on her back, locked his legs around her neck, and delivered seven blows to her skull, shouting on each strike one facet of the seven. Yeah. Mother, father, right? Crone. <laughs> awesome. I'd forget which ones I'd said and which ones I hadn't. <laughs> yeah. Because For I'm sure. on the back of a dragon. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, this reeks a little bit of story, right? That, that yeah. it's not really real. Right. It's something the faith likes to tell. But, um, and Shryko's still a, a young dragon at this point. Very, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, Morgul, Morgul is the next one, which sounds very Tolkienish to me. Um, in fact, there is. There's a minus Morgul, right? Yep. Trikos uh, and Morgul are both very fearsome names. They are good names. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, much you know, much better than Dreamfire. <laughs> uh, so Morgul is killed by the Burning Knight. Likely no knight at all, if you ask me. But he runs straight at the dragon and just jabs repeatedly in his eye with a with a spear uh, until Morgul dies. Uh, he's for his trouble. He's cooked in his armor. They don't actually specifically stay, but I'm sure. I'm sure he dies. He's called the Burning Knight. Um, next, we have Tyraxes, perhaps the best strategy of the dragons. Uh, he kind of creeps back into his hole, kind of like uh, you know the Battle of Thermopylae with the three hundred. Makes a choking point for his attackers and uh, just burns them alive as they try to enter his cave. But the shepherd yep. knew that there's a back door into that lair. <clears throat> so he sends men in Taraxes gets all tangled up in his chains And he's trying to turn around And he gets killed too uh, And then we have Dreamfire So Dreamfire was Helena's mount And uh, She actually is able to take flight She breaks her chains But she's still in the dragon pit She can't really get out She does a bunch of damage More than the other three combined um, But there's arrows and corals flying through the air at extremely close range, and one of them hits her in the eye and blinds her, at least half blinds her. And in pain and anger, she tries to glass elevator that shit, wonka through the ceiling, only to have yep. it collapse around her, uh, crushing her. So so she's toast. And then for whatever reason, uh, Cyrax, well, I guess we need to kind of interject Joffrey Baratheon's choice. Or sorry, Joffrey, 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 uh, yeah. Joffrey Targaryen's choice. Sorry, so Joffrey seeing all this go down, they're they're kind of watching this whole attack, right? There's fire and yeah, uh, everything from, comes from the Red Keep, from the Red Keep, and they're watching it. And um, you know, kind of a, a this is all sad, I guess, but a sad footnote 
to all this dragony battle stuff is that Joffrey, sick of hearing no from his mother, which I get why she's saying no, but sick of hearing no every time he asks, sneaks away and mounts his mom's dragon and tries to fly over there to, I don't know, either do battle on Cyrax or find his own dragon or, you know, who knows. Yeah, Cyrax was the one dragon that they kept at the Red Keep, right? Yeah. Right. Rather than at the Dragon Pit. Right, it's it's Rhaenyra's mount. And so, so, so Cyrax doesn't, you know, she knows Joffrey, she's seen him around, right? But she's, you know, dragons are fickle beasts and she doesn't want him on her. So she twists, drops him from the sky and he falls 200 feet or so to the ground and hits roof tiles and basically falls pretty much on the dies pretty much on the fall um and the common folk for good measure find him and butcher him as well and cut him to pieces and everything which is just great just Mm -hmm. just kind of add another little level of butchery to the whole story um rainier for her part obviously is terrified when she learns he's gone sends a a group of people out after him bring him back bring him back he does not know my son my sweet son so the the seven who rode it's a great name but they basically just die um <laughs> you know most of them glad and good is the, yeah. the new lord commander and uh his cloak gets set afire he's thrown from his horse and he gets murdered so they go try to get his body back and they fail and die so for whatever reason we're getting to the end of the end of these dragons here for whatever reason cyrax decides to go join up with the with the battle Instead of like, you know, she could have done anything. She could have gone for, you know, Burger King or whatever. Um, gone gone to Dragonstone. She could have stayed at the Red Keep. Could have done anything she wanted. But she decides to go to the mob and start burning fools. Uh, so mm-hmm. she, instead of staying in the sky, though, she lands also. I don't know. They, they, they talk so about weird. Cyrax before, about how she's kind of like old and ponderous and slow and fat. Maybe she was just mm-hmm. lazy. And she's like, I'm landing. I'm tired of flying. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> so much. So hard. Snacks. The dragon. There's snacks down there. Yeah. Uh, I've got a little bit of a little passage to read here. I know I've been talking a lot, but I got a little passage I want to read here, which is pretty. And there it is. Atop the hill of Rainus, the dragon pit wore a crown of yellow fire, burning so bright it seemed as if the sun was rising. Even the queen trembled as she watched, the tears glistening on her cheeks. Never have I seen a sight more terrible, more glorious. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of when Cyrax is about to join the fight. But um, yeah, so so um, so Cyrax dies too. Um, one legend that the faith. Uh, kind of backs is that the shepherd himself dealt the final blow with a black yeah. blade made of smoke that turned to steel as he swung it, lopping off Cyrax's head. So, uh, sounds, sounds again like what happened. Yeah, yeah, sounds likely. One armed mm-hmm. old guy. So, uh, what yeah. do you what do you think of these uh, these dragon deaths, Matt? Just oh, heart wrenching, man. Yeah, that's another theme that I'll we'll come back to at the end of the episode, but just waste. Yeah. Just waste. The, the, that's the one descriptor that keeps coming back to me with the whole dance of the dragons. It's just yeah. what a waste. Yeah. Oh, these beautiful creatures. Yeah. Just gone. 
gone and also the loss of human life too um you know when when really you know these hundreds to thousands of humans dying when they're really fighting against a regime that is just awful to them i mean Mm -hmm. we covered in the last episode so just a quick reminder rhaenyra Mm -hmm. and celtigar are basically taxing them to the point of death i mean like they don't have anything left there's you know and, and, and they, of course the go ahead, sorry i was gonna say of course the writers of this history are painting them as the angry rabble yeah you know the enemies that these brave knights need to put down and everything but really they're the ones getting screwed over yeah yep yeah so um so quick dragon tally after the uh the dragon pit here um the blacks have dragon moon tallies are getting a lot easier yeah they're getting much shorter the Blacks have Moondancer. The Greens have Tessarion, Vermithor, and Silverwing. And there are several mm-hmm. at large. There's Sea Smoke, which is uh, Adam of Hull's mount, but they, they went missing, right? When Rhaenyra tried to have him arrested, he left. Left. Yeah. <laughs> There's the Cannibal uh, mm-hmm. and, and Sheepstealer. Uh, and then there is Sunfire, who is also missing, right? He was kind of there in the Riverlands, floundering about on his broken wing, and he's now missing. So... Those are the kind of the dragons that are around. Um, so now we'll, we'll talk about the flight from King's Landing. So Rhaenyra has basically decided, okay, uh, dragon's dead, sun's dead, mob angry and growing. I'm Audi. I'm Audi 5000. Is that a phrase? Is that a, Do the kids say that still? Is that a thing? Anyway. Every, everyone says it. Great, great. I'm just part of everyone. So uh, she gets 35-ish people, including uh, including her son Aegon the Younger. Um, they slip through the Dragon Gate the next morning in kind of the confusion of the city. Uh, but, I mean, it should be noted, like, it's 35 people. Everyone else kind of stayed behind, right? They've either drifted off in the night or the day before as her support has just kind of melted away. Anyway, the plan is to get to Duskendale to regroup where she has maybe some more friends and away from, you know, angry, spear-toting pitchfork toting mob people with cocks in their hands shouting about taxes so uh the taking of king's landing so the fleet i do that even when i'm not angry (laughs) (laughs) well played sir (laughs) perk of the flea and his force of new-made knights take the red keep from the small outnumbered force that rainier left behind in fact they surrender rainier's force has no interest in putting up a fight at all uh for for that they're murdered (laughs) lady misery herself uh who had stayed behind stripped naked whipped as she goes through the city streets and dies on the way she gone Um, there's a bunch of prisoners they let out uh maester orwell lord corliss valerion queen alicent and tyland lannister they're all brought back up from the cells um and for more than a moon's turn these three these three kings, Gaemon, uh, Tristan, uh, and the Shepherd, kind of rule this city in, um, you know, I guess, disarray, if you want to call yeah. it that. They kind of have their headquarters on the different hills in the yeah. city, right? Correct. Uh, Gaemon's over at kind of Visenya's Hill. Um, Shepherd's at the Hill of Rainies at the Dragon Pit. And Tristan is Aegon's High Hill, the Red Keep. Right. Um, 
So, and they're all kind of doing stuff. The sex worker's propping up Gamon. They're issuing decrees on his behalf. Uh, and maybe we should let them rule, because their decrees sound pretty good. <laughs> they're, they're talking about, like, feeding the poor, and uh, mm -hmm. men not being able to beat their wives. All, all of these things sound pretty good. Like, maybe we should actually let them rule. Um, the shepherd, uh, the shepherd's power kind of diminishes in this time, kind of as I, I just like to think of it just kind of like we were talking about with the mob as the mob right. kind of has less anger and fewer targets to direct their rage at. They just kind of, um, they just kind of dwindle away. The, the text says, uh, the small folk of the city woke as if from a bad dream and like mm -hmm. sinners waking cold and sober after a night of drunken debauchery and revel, they turned away in shame, hiding their faces from one another and hoping to forget. Been there. Um, <laughs> uh, Tristan himself also does, you know, issue some some edicts too, and his aren't awful, right? He's going to let people take uh, take take game from the the king's forest and. Uh, you know they're all trying to kind of do their own their own ruling thing, but I don't know, Matt. I kind of get the sense that like they've got to know their time is kind of short, and they're just kind of like, do you think any of them really think they're going to hold sway over this city for very long? Are they just like frantically trying to gather supporters to maybe be able to put up a fight? But maybe, yeah, maybe you maybe they did. That... Sometimes when you're in the moment, you're like, yeah, I got a chance, yeah. I can do this. But anyone this. watching is nope. like, mm, like mm -hmm. the high towers have ninety. Can you? Yeah, like. Can you? It's not gonna happen. There's still three dragons out mm -hmm. there. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Laris lives on though. Just a quick footnote on Laris. He was not in the jails, and just kind of emerges, pretty as you please, to preside <laughs> over the shift in power. Perkin, hey buddy, do you? known you for years the quote is he came striding through the halls of the red keep as if he had never left <laughs> man this guy's <laughs> to be got... greeted warmly by sir perkin the flea and take a place of honor at the side of the new king meaning tristan yeah this, this guy's just, he's like rolling natural 20s on all of his charisma rolls <laughs> like I, he is on reread he is one of the most fascinating characters He's so interesting, and and you know he's so charismatic when he needs to be, but he's also they talk about how he he rarely talks unless he actually has to and everything. And yeah. I don't know, I just find him so interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think he he's got to be the one that got the shepherd all riled up and stuff like that, right? I don't know. I didn't give that much thought, but maybe. I I mean, I had a, go ahead. I had the tiniest clue of a thought, and it could be it could be nothing there's argument against it but the the little tiny line that said that the shepherd knew of the back door into the dragon pit yeah is what got me thinking that that the shepherd is 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 kind of a front for laris mm -hmm. um because i don't know that a guy like the shepherd would have that intimate of knowledge of the dragon pit now he could have gone and scouted it out before and found that out but someone like laris who also seems to like to sow discord where he can. Um, that seems like 
that's obviously something he would know. He's the master of whisperers. He knows all the tunnels and ins and outs of the keep and everything. And he'd probably know about that back door to the dragon pit. So that little tiny line got me thinking that uh, maybe Laris is behind all that. It's interesting. I, I kind of got the impression. I don't know how I would from that line because you just read it and I don't know why I would have gotten the impression. But I got the impression that those other entrances were kind of like known. That they're like they could for air been. circulation or like that the, the, they were just kind of known about. But it could have been. But I don't and well I don't I, yeah. I don't know what evidence I have of that. I just it's just the impression I got. But, but I don't it, know that I have the evidence to the contrary so well but i like where your head's at with laris i mean but it, but it implies he's got some sort of motivation <laughs> to oh boy well you've mentioned well maybe we cover it later but you know you you, you mentioned i think the words you used were sowing discord um you know he's he reminds you of varus a lot not just because of the names rhyme uh varus and little finger a little finger a bit too um but but with but with with varus specifically because he's just kind of like trying to like uh trying to elongate the game and 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 knock down the players a little bit for a purpose right Littlefinger is doing it maybe just for chaos so i guess maybe that's the question do you think laris is more of Varys or Littlefinger? is he doing it for chaos or is Varys is he more like Varys and that he supposedly some people don't believe this about Varys really but that he has some sort of end goal that he's kind of working toward involving a specific family or a specific result he's he's after he's trying to achieve um you don't know i don't know either i don't know um i went and i i listed out all of his kind of acts throughout the whole dance oh is this what you were teasing on twitter and then i color-coded them based on which side black or green they (laughs) it benefited yeah and it comes out pretty even in the end. Yeah. Um, the biggest question, I may be getting ahead of us here, maybe this is better served for the end, is if at the end, if he did have some sort of purpose, his 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 last act, he has the chance to take the black and live, and he chooses to die. Yeah. And yep. so it's like, what, did he achieve that purpose? Yeah. And so he was okay going to his death? And if so, what was that purpose? Was it just to knock out as many Targaryens as he could? And if so, why? If why so would he why? want to? Kn- because why because his family to is toast, right? right? So yeah, it's weird. It's weird. We'll get back. To, maybe yeah, we'll talk about it more yeah. towards the end of the. Yeah, when we he will. does. We for sure will. This all happens, but yeah. But all right. Well, let's move on to the next section. Okay. Unless you've got more. Nope. All right. Uh, you got a quote for us? I do. The next section is called Dragons Dance, Dragons Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, history calls the struggle between Aegon II and his half-sister Rhaenyra the Dance of the Dragons. But only at Tumbleton did the dragons ever truly dance. Yes, indeed. So, you know, as all this stuff's going on at King's Landing, there's this threat of this army led by the High Towers marching up the King's Road to come bursting in. Uh, and really, the people at King's Landing don't have a lot to be worried about right now. Um, Tumbleton is an absolute mess. It's been sacked a couple of times now by the high tower. It's just been one continual sacking, right, by this army of the Greens. Um, and 
they're they're basically leaderless at this point. Ormond Hightower's dead. Uh, all the really, frankly, capable leaders are gone, and just everyone is just raping, pillaging. Uh, Ulf and Hugh, the dragon riders, are complete, completely belligerent. The opposite of team players, uh, just doing their own thing, and it's just a huge mess at Tumbleton. Nothing's happening. Uh, nothing good or productive, anyways. There's a question of secession that's going on. Um, as Scad mentioned earlier, uh, Amond Targaryen is dead, and he's uh, and news of that death has gotten back to these Greens at Tumbleton. Yeah, and remember, uh, Amond. I mean, he was basically ruling. I mean, right. He. I don't remember what what they called him. What his title was now. I've forgotten. But he basically was the king for a while. I mean, not mm-hmm. really. But he ruled like a king. We talked about it last episode. I was like, well, shouldn't, you know, like, shouldn't the hand have been taking over? Like, Aegon's hand should have been taking over if he couldn't rule, right? No, they, like, crowned Aemond instead. It's kind of weird. Yeah, they actually, like, crowned him. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But anyway, he's dead. He's gone. And Aegon, no one's seen or heard from him since he fled King's Landing. So many people think that he, he's got to be dead. If he hasn't resurfaced yet, he gone. So Daron Targaryen, who's at Tumbleton, is next in line. Uh, Unwin Peak says he should at least go ahead and pronounce him Prince of Dragonstone. Um, many others are saying, nope, let's just crown him. Let's just make him king. But you've also got Hugh the Hammer, the Dragon Rider, and we've talked about the entitlement that Ulf and Hugh have uh, have had. You know, they have now, and it's because everyone gave them that uh, thoughts that they were the biggest and the best because they could ride a dragon. So Hugh decides that because he has a dragon, he's just like Aegon the Conqueror, and why can't he be king? Um, there's a weird prophecy in there that maybe we'll talk about, about the hammer smashing the dragon. It's the first time I've ever heard of this prophecy, Scad. Yeah, me too. That I remember. Um, Daron's not down with that. Throws a cup of wine in Hugh's face when Hugh says he wants to be king. But Hugh goes ahead and makes himself a crown, and he's gathered a few supporters to himself. Um, he seems to be fairly charismatic as well in terms of attracting ne'er-do-wells. <clears throat> and other unsavory types, but he's got a, a pretty good group of supporters. Ulf the White's an interesting one to me, Scad. He seems, you know, he's kind of cool with just having high garden. <laughs> Isn't that weird? He's kind of cool you with th- just being drunk all the time. Yeah, he's like, you know what? I'll take high garden. You can be King Hugh. And uh, yeah, he lives in his cups. He's just constantly drunk. So Ulf and Hugh aren't doing much to help, uh, and it gets to the point where some of the leaders who still remain with this kind of disorganized mass of forces at Tumbleton get together. They call themselves the Caltrops, Caltrops because they first organized at an inn called the Bloody Caltrops. They're kind of led by Unwin Peak and Hobart Hightower. And they decide that they need to get rid of Ulf and Hugh, that they are not worth the trouble that they're causing. 
they go back and forth over what they should do to get rid of them, you know, because obviously you kill the dragon riders, but you still got two dragons. So do they keep the two dragon riders long enough to retake King's Landing? You know, uh, that doesn't seem like a super honorable thing to do as if everything else they've been doing at Tumbleton's honorable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the end, what they kind of all land on is that they are, they just need to get rid of Ulf and Hugh. And so they decide that they are going to assassinate Ulf the White and Hugh the Hammer. Uh, and then they'll figure out the dragon thing next time (laughs) they decide, you know what, if, if these guys can figure out how to ride the dragons, I'm sure one of us can figure out how to ride the dragons. So We'll just we'll just cross that bridge when we come to it. The whole yeah. riding the dragons thing. Oddler, you're getting bold. Yeah, it, it's um, <laughs> it's a little weird. I I I know it seems dishonorable, but it seems like let's let's get the job done before we, like let's just deal with this these dicks for a little while. Right? Ruthless Matt is totally with you. Take King's Landing. Yeah. Get your victory. Yeah. Then knock off Wolf and Hugh. Yeah. yeah. BFD. Yeah. Uh, anyways, though, on the very night that they are going to carry out this assassination plot, dun, 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 dun. Which, which Darren is behind too, by the way. I don't know if I heard you say that or not. Uh, I didn't. Thanks for bringing that up. I even have it here in my notes that these eleven, the call trips, who ended up going to Prince Darren, and he eagerly eagerly supported this whole thing yeah he's done with these two as well on the very night that they're going to carry out this dastardly deed screams cries of terror fires adam valerian has arrived at tumbleton and is attacking the city with his dragon with sea smoke and a force of four thousand riverlanders that he has uh, gone and amassed. We remember that he fled King's Landing when Rhaenyra was going to arrest him. What has he been doing during that time? Well, he's been going to all the different lords and knights and people in uh, in the Riverlands, and he's raised a little army. You'd think that all of them would be dead by now. Yeah. Uh, the Riverlands just get screwed in every single battle, yeah. uh, every single war. That was, that was but, one of the two points I wanted to make real quick is the Riverlands again being pressed into service. They've been basically littering the battlefields all war, right? And here they uh, are like, hey, can you help me out? I'm trying to scrape together uh, one more one more thing. Tully's, Vance's, Blackwood's, Frey's, Piper, Viperin, Smallwood. These are all names that have died. We've seen them in the last episode. They all died. Some Somehow they're finding more. And then the other thing is just, can we just for a minute with the Valerians, because they're awesome. Corliss is awesome. Adam is awesome, and we won't get to it here, but maybe in a future episode. Alan is pretty fucking awesome, too. Right. And Adam's whole thing for doing this is to prove that not all bastards are turncloaks. Loyalty, yeah. Because that's what, you know, Rhaenyra was convinced by, was that, well, if Nettles is going to betray me, and Ulf and Hugh are going to betray me. Well, no, it started with Ulf and Hugh, right? If Ulf and Hugh are going to betray me, Nettles and Adam will as well. And Nettles' response was she fled. Adam's response is, I'll show you. And he goes and he scrapes the bottom of that Riverlands barrel and gets some forces together. 
and they attack and uh they're outnumbered quite a bit yeah um you know but the fact that they attack at night when when the high tower forces are in such disarray they're all off doing their own thing no there's no organization it sounds like and this night attack just completely takes them by surprise uh and they're they're they completely destroy the uh, high tower camp of course the 4000 rivermen um had the advantage of surprise, but really who's doing all the da- damage is sea smoke. Yeah. He is burning up the camp. Um, he doesn't spare the people of Tumbleton. Unfortunately, he's going after the town, burning anything in sight. <clears throat> uh, now Hugh, the hammer is killed in this battle. He's killed by one of the call trips, John Roxton. Uh, he kills Hugh with his Valerian steel blade orphan maker, with the great final words, he says, oh, my condolences. And Hugh's like, what do you mean? And John Roxton says, oh, you died in the battle. And then he stabs him. What? Yep. What? Cool. I died in the what? <laughs> Unfortunately, Darren Targaryen, who I kind of like. I like this kid. Uh, he dies in the battle as well. Um we don't know quite how. Uh, some say Black Trombo, a sellsword killed him, a sellsword leader killed him. Black Another Trombo says, says Black Trombo at least. Yeah. An <laughs> unknown man at arms is another one. Others just say that his tent caught on fire and collapsed on him as he was still in it. But either way, Darren Targaryen, uh, Prince, son of Alison Hightower. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody's got a theory out there somewhere about secret Targaryen Darian, Darren running around since we don't have his he's body not, yeah, he's we don't not know dead. the story yeah. I'm sure. his body wasn't recovered and we don't have the sure. clear definitive I'm sure somebody's got a theory sh- did it. yeah there's got to be one um, things, so things are going nuts uh, and here's where we get the the quote or, or the event that Scad's quote refers to which is the dragon dance above Tumbleton um only at Tumbleton did the dragons ever truly dance. We have this kind of, it sounds like a really cool, graceful battle between Sea Smoke, ridden by Adam Valerion, and Tessarion, uh, Darren's dragon, who's now flying riderless. And it kind of sounds like they were pretty evenly matched, right, Scad? Uh, similar in size. Yeah. Um, just kind of going back and forth. The The fire wasn't doing much to each other. So they're kind of like, maneuvering gracefully through the sky trying to take these passes at each other and um sounds like it would kind of been a cool thing to see but then of course well vermithor well well some even speculate that they weren't really fighting that that it was a mating dance that they were uh uh they were interested in each other they were drawn to each other and i didn't go back and look like if sea smoke ever really had much contact with tesserion i don't know but um before now or whether you know it's one of these dragon love at first sight kind of things but the thing that makes it weird to me is like if they're doing this what is adam like the cameraman (laughs) the third wheel in this menage a trois he's like what are you guys doing (laughs) the guy that knocks on the door he's like i'm here for the threesome (laughs) yeah like your pool was broken it's a little awkward. He's like, get, attack! What are you? 
Why are you dipping your wing? Just, what are you? Sea smoke. What are you? And then it, put that and then away. If he's like, and then if he's like, you know what? Sea smoke. You go get her, buddy. <laughs> you go get her. This thing's all wrapped up. You go get her. <laughs> Except it isn't wrapped up because I cut you off right it's before not. you were getting to the uh, the, the climax, if you will. Vermithor, who uh, I believe at this point is the largest dragon left, uh, the former mount of Jaharis and more recently Hugh the Hammer, rises to join the battle. He, Scad, is the one coming to clean the pool, right? <laughs> um, Unwelcome, though, <laughs> which is never the scenario. Not that I ever watch any of that stuff. Quite unwelcome. He just totally cock-blocks sea smoke. Um, uh, anyways, Vermithor joins the fight. They end up tangling, getting all tangled up in each other, and the dragons crash to the ground where Vermithor kills sea smoke. He bites his head just clean off. Um, uh, Adam Valerion, of course, killed along with sea smoke he doesn't survive the fall uh tessarion is killed soon after well he's wounded in this fall in this tangle and everything and he tessarion ends up being she is mercy killed by an archer named billy burley who puts three arrows into tessarion's eye uh out of what we think is mercy um so tessarion's gone to three dragons down in this dance uh include and, adam valerion killed as well and it, it's just interesting how you know that tessarion comes to join this fight uh with sea smoke instead of you know should have been fighting with vermouth or against sea smoke um mm -hmm. uh, and i wonder you know they, the text is very vague like we who knows the heart of a dragon you know that kind of thing they write a few times in this book uh but i wondered i, I started thinking about it I wonder if Tessarion perhaps hated Vermithor just like Darren hated Hugh. Yeah, they 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 talk about that a little bit, right? The, if sometimes the ride, the dragons take on kind of the attitudes of the riders. We, I mean, we talk about it all the time with the wolves. Their relationships. Mm -hmm. Right, and taking the personalities of the Stark kids or vice versa. The, the Stark kids taking the personalities of the wolves. But right. yeah, maybe maybe Tessarion knew Vermithor was like an enemy of mm -hmm. his rider, right? And kind of, I don't know. It's a weird thing, but I did think about it. Anyway. Yeah, it is. Because they, they don't say either way yeah. of like who was fighting for who. It just seemed like the three were just in a wrestle. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it does say that Sea Smoke and Vermithor were there first. And Tessarion came flying in last, as if to help Sea Smoke, who was in trouble. But they don't say that. It's like you have to, you know, jump to that conclusion yourself. Yeah, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Hey, where'd you guys go? Let me yeah. back in. Yeah. Ooh, this looks fun. Oh, it's not yeah. fun. This is real. <laughs> There's one dragon we haven't talked about that's been there the whole time. Yeah. Little little lady named Silverwing, yeah, uh, formerly Queen Allison's mount, now riding, being ridden by Ulf the White. But Ulf the White, <laughs> we didn't mention what he's doing during this battle. <laughs> no, he didn't even wake up for it. Yeah, he's so dead drunk that he doesn't ever even join the fight. Um, and Silverwing therefore doesn't either. Uh, Vermithor 
rises writerless and joins into things. Um, we don't have much on on what Silverwing is doing during all of this, right? Yeah, I, like Allison, I like to think that she's just too good for this conflict. She's kind of raises her nose to this conflict. You guys do your thing. She's yeah. last seen on the battlefield after all of this is done, attempting to rouse Vermithor in what must have kind of been kind of a sad scene. Yeah. Um, and feeding on the remains of men and horses. A few tried to ride Silverwing, none succeeded, and Silverwing ended up flying away. More on her later, perhaps. Yeah. Actually, no, not really. Not she really. ends up going to the Reach, right? Yeah, she goes and lives on an island in Red Lake, uh, which is yeah. over there by Golden Grove and the Oak Hearts, kind of near the Westerlands. Um, kind of near never the takes Gray. another rider, yeah. just kind of retires. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't really know much about how she dies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The battle's over. Uh, technically, not a victory. No. As Tumbleton was never taken, uh, the remaining Greens were able to retreat into the city and close the gates. Um, however, they took extremely heavy losses. Their camp is completely destroyed. Two of the three dragons that the Greens had, of course, are dead along with Sea Smoke. The supply, their supplies are pretty much wiped out. Um, and they never – but on the other hand, it kept the Greens away from King's Landing. Uh, so that could potentially be seen as a victory. Yeah. Um, they never retook Tumbleton, but they also kept the Greens out of King's Landing. And, and this army, as we know it, never did make it to King's Landing. Yeah. They, they literally have crazy? nothing in their way from right. taking King's Landing. Other but they have themselves. such a lack of leadership and direction that they can't keep the army together. They're stealing shit and wandering off and like they they can't they can't just like be like, "Hey, guys, we got like it's right there. It's 50 miles away, a few days and like we have riches and city and new lands and stuff. Like let's go like they can't even pull it together. They've got nothing in their way." Now they don't know really what's going on at king's landing exactly probably but mm -hmm. they know that as an army there's nothing in their way right it's pretty crazy isn't that crazy yeah isn't that nuts and you know the 10 of the 13 caltrops died in this in in the second battle of tumbleton and so um including you know a story we haven't yet told but uh it should have removed some of this conflict of leadership that they had and let like Unwin or, or one of the other guys kind of like seize control and be like, all right, now this is the what we're doing because the confusion is gone. We're doing this now, but they can't. They can't get out of their own way. It's yep. kind of crazy. Yeah. Unwin Peak survives, uh, and he ends up calling for the retreat. Yeah. He's the most kind of the most senior left, and they leave Tumbleton, return back to the Reach, and disband basically. Uh, Sir Ulf the White, finally roused. He's he's poisoned. He dies of poisoning, yeah. in kind of a fun story. So Hobart Hightower, one of the Caltrops, and technically the leader of this army, <clears throat> by extreme default. Yeah. Uh, they decide they're going to proceed with with knocking off Ulf, and so they uh, invite him to 
basically have a drink to discuss what is it, how they're going to take King's Landing. Yeah. This is before, before the formal retreat. For the retreat. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to they're going to take King's Landing and Ulf's going to kind of lead it uh with the dragon and everything. And he's going to take the throne too when they get there. Yeah. He's like, oh, he's he's dead. And I've like, got the only dragon. All right. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, that sounds good, Ulf. Why don't we do that? And uh, let's let's talk strategy over some some wine. And they end up poisoning some Arbor Gold because that's the kind of wine that Ulf likes. Now, the idea is that they will serve Ulf the Arbor Gold because he likes it. And Hobart Hightower would drink the Arbor Red, the Red Vintage. But uh, that's not poisoned. But Ulf kind of notices that something's a little off with Hobart. He doesn't have a good poker face. And Ulf insists that Hobart Hightower drink the Arbor Gold with him. Uh-oh. Which just, Hobart... It just came to me. My, 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 my Hobart face. No? What have you done, Scat? <laughs> yeah, I did it. What have you done? It's over. It's over. His Hobart face did not hold up. But to Hobart's credit, he freaking downed that Arbor Gold. Knowing it was poison, he downed it uh, to get rid of Ulf. So Ulf thinks it's safe to drink. He drinks a whole bunch too. And he drifts off peacefully into death being poisoned. Hobart Hightower sees Ulf die. He hangs on longer than Ulf does. He didn't drink quite as much. Ulf just started chugging as soon as he thought it was safe, as Ulf does. Hightower tries to throw it all up, but it's too late, and he dies as well. So. Can't read my, can't read my, no, you can't read my Hobart, Hobart face. face. <laughs> I don't know what they say there. <clears throat> uh, so that's the end. Um, of 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 the High Tower army at Tumbleton, of three dragons, two dra- uh, three dragon riders along with them, yeah. four dragon riders, four dragon riders. Um, Adam Valerian's dead. Prince Darren's dead. Ulf the White's dead. Hugh the Hammer's dead. Uh, yeah, almost as many dragons die here as die or are lost. Dragon pit as die in the dragon pit. Yeah, so the quick dragon tally is. Blacks have Moondancer. The greens have no dragons. Zero dragons. And there yeah, are... The Silverwing's just the gone. The Silverwing leaves. So the others at large are the Cannibal, Sheep Stealer, Silverwing, and still Sunfire out there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one dragon, a tiny one, Moondancer, and, and no dragons. It's crazy where we've, where we've come. In just one episode. Yeah. Yep. All right. Jeez. Uh, next section. Yep. Next section is dragon found, dragons die. So the quote here is, I don't know if you guys are getting the theme yet. Uh, the time for hiding is done. Let the ravens fly that the realm may know the pretender is dead and their true king is coming home to reclaim his father's throne. So when we last left Rhaenyra, she had flown the coop uh, from uh, King's Landing. She's mm-hmm. turned away at Rosby. She's accepted for only a night at Stokeworth. 
She's attacked on the road. Her party, small to begin with, has been reduced now by desertion and death. And she isn't gaining any new men to her cause. Nobody's flocking to this banner. She's only accepted at Duskendale due to the persuasion of Sir Harold Dark, who's like a cousin or something of the those in, at Duskendale. Uh, like, they don't... Nobody wants her around. Uh, you know, and, and that, the House Dark lack of support is pretty... Or the, the Duskendale lack of support is pretty telling. They're kind of... They're kind of a symbol of loyalty to the Targaryens over time. They've, they've been very loyal to them. Um, House Dark specifically. Um, so... When she's let in there at the Dunfort, uh, she sends ravens out uh, to ask for aid from Dragonstone, but she gets no answer, no response, no ships coming, nothing. Not even a response from Mace Jars, which just has her, you know, she's her suspicions are raised again. Remember, she kind of had grown suspicious of him earlier. How long did they wait for a response? I don't know. It doesn't really say exactly how long she was there at the Dunfort. Um... But she has done. She does get better luck from uh, from Cregan, uh, Cregan Stark in the north. Um, mm-hmm. God, I mean, so I don't know why they're so late. But he offers ten thousand men. If she'd have had those men in King's Landing, she'd been, you know, she'd probably been okay. They had to bring in the harvest, he said. Yes, his right. Excuse. Yeah, you're right. He he does say mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, he's saying it's going to take time, lots of time, months. Really, right? For them, yeah. To they got to bring in the big harvest because it's going to be a terrible winter, and they got to get as much food as they can in. Right. Or they're going to die. So. so he's working on that, but he promises he's coming. Lady Jane also of the Vale is willing, but unable to get men out past the snow. They're it's winter time now, and she so she needs ships to move her people, which Rhaenyra doesn't have, and which Lady Jane of the Vale doesn't have. So, um. You know, the betrayal of Corlys here. Remember, she had sent Corlys to the dungeons, and so now kind of lost kind of lost the Valerian fleet. That bites her in the ass here, right? Idiot. And it gives Lady Jane kind of a convenient excuse. Like, maybe she really had it in her heart that she wanted to help, but it also gives her the ability to be like, oh, yeah, I wish I could send all these men that I have, but how am I going to get there? Gee, sorry. Darn it. Right, sorry. Mountain pass closed. Yeah. You know, if I had some ships, uh, you don't have any? Uh, yeah. well, okay, well, well. I'll, I'll think about it, about what I can do. <laughs> and and to her credit, they do show up later, uh, not to spoil yeah. it. but she comes through. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of the uh, the late Walter Frey syndrome going on there. Uh, so, in the end, she's like, I can't wait here anymore. They're about to turn her away from the Dunford anyway. She's seemingly out of options, and the help from Cregan and the Vale is far away. So she's like, I'm going to Dragonstone. She sells her effing crown, which is Jaehaerys's crown, uh, Viserys's crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sells it to get a ship to take her and her meager crew of like eight or nine people, including Aegon, three Kingsguard, and her ladies, her ladies-in-waiting, to Dragonstone. She means to return home, basically, in hopes of hatching a dragon. But... It is not to be. Because there's some betrayal at Dragonstone going on. Little does she know that her garrison has been supplanted by traitors. Robert Quince is the man that she's put in charge at Dragonstone. Uh, He was not technically the next man in line. That was Sir Alfred Broom. Um, And Sir Alfred Broom has taken over. Um, And he had a little bit of help. And for that we turn to... Stealing a bench disgruntled. (laughs) Yeah. For that, we turn to Laris again. <laughs> Obs. Because 
Laris is the one that secreted the royal family out, Aegon and his children, uh, out when there was trouble for in King's Landing for him. Um, so Aegon driven out of the city, Rhaenyra driven out of the city, neither one of them having much luck at actually ruling in that city. Uh, Laris got the royal family out and basically hid Aegon in as a fisherman on his fishing skiff headed to Dragonstone. Great place to hide in his mind uh, for who would look on the queen's own island for Aegon. But yeah, Laris yeah. kind of assumed the king would remain hidden. Right? Uh, but he doesn't. And the reason he doesn't is because this tale that we told in the last episode about a dragon battle um, between Grey Ghost, whose carcass is now littering the stones on Dragonstone, and a dragon with golden scales. Well, they hear these tales, Aegon and, and a couple of the men from that fishing skiff, and they realize that this is probably Sunfire. And so they go looking for him. Aegon comes out of hiding and goes to find Sunfire and kind of gets reinvigorated for his cause and engineers the fall of Dragonstone. It's easy to find men who support Aegon's cause. Lots of them have re resented Rhaenyra for family they lost in the war. Some support Aegon's, you know, the male claim, right? And some, just like always, are just kind of looking for money, right? Um... Mm -hmm. You know, that combined with the fact that Rainier basically left a skeleton crew made the taking of Dragonstone a pretty easy thing. And, you know, I, I come back, Matt, to this. It's a theme we've talked about a little bit before, but, like, Rainier just doesn't treat her people right. Yep. Like, if she if she just treated her people right, she'd inspire maybe a little bit of loyalty and could have avoided a lot of these problems. I remember mm -hmm. when, I start, when we started this reread, I was very firmly on the side of the Blacks. And I liked Rhaenyra. I think I said this last episode, too. I really disliked Rhaenyra a lot. A lot, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yep. Anyway. Maybe the most disliked person in this whole event for me. Maybe. I'm trying to think a of someone I dislike more. Oh, I don't like Aemon very Aemond much. is pretty bad. Yeah. I'd put her at top three easy, though. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, moving on. So... Fall of Dragonstone. So, it's easy. Sir Alfred Broom proved the perfect man to bring the rebellion home at Dragonstone. He's the senior guy there. He was passed over. Walks so he's, right in, yep. Yeah, he's nursing this wound deeply. And he has intimate knowledge of the workings of Dragonstone, the ways in and out, the people that are there that would be amenable to the cause. And in the end, the fall of Dragonstone took less than an hour. They even kept Gerardus from sending any birds out. And they killed mm. Quince with, like, zero resistance, unless you count his sizable belly. Uh resisting the spear going through it um <laughs> so the only thing that kind of doesn't go quite as planned is that bela targaryen one of the one of daemon and Lyanna's twins uh ever adventurous and without fear like her father climbs out go her girl scales down to the dragon pen and mounts moondancer the kind of lone remaining black uh, dragon for the blacks and mm -hmm. she's happens to be great timing she happens to be flying up as sunfire is flying down into the courtyard with Aegon, yep. And the agile as fuck young dragon kind of flits around Sunfire, kind of like what we were describing with Tesseran and Sea Smoke, kind of dances around the bigger dragon that you know Sunfire's a wreck, he can barely fly, really. Yeah, um, he's got a mangled wing and stuff yeah, like that. He's been, he's been pretty battered. Um, in what would really be the final dragon battle of the dance, Moon Dancer mm -hmm. is kind of dancing around and. Um, 
gashing Sunfire in, in various places. But Sunfire blinds her with Dragonfire, and Moondancer crashes into him. They go to the ground, kind of like what happened at Tumblestone, or Tumbleton, sorry. Um, and they fight on the ground, and Sunfire is big and has the advantage and finishes off Moondancer as Bela kind of crawls off to the side. But Sunfire is badly damaged. He can't fly. Like, he tries to fly and fails. He's done. Yeah, yep. he suffers a lot of wounds. He's already been, you know, recovering from wounds. He's a wreck. Um, Aegon himself also, to avoid crashing to the ground, he jumps from the dra- back of the dragon and shatters both of his legs. Aegon, remember, was already a physical wreck himself. He is a mess, dude. From the previous battle with Sun- when he Sunfire got wrecked. He is a mess. So, uh, yeah, so he he's a mess. He does, though, uh, he avoids the opioid bath trance that he kind of fell into last time when Amond had to take over. So that's good. But uh, he, is, he is a physical wreck. Mm-hmm. He also hangs Gerardus uh, by his maester chain, tortures oh him, gosh. really. He kind yeah. of hangs him and yeah, lets him live and then hangs him again. Yeah, just as Gerardis is about to succumb, they let him down. Yeah. Let him recover for a little bit. After he's recovered, string him back up. And then for good measure, let they let Sunfire eat the bottom half. Yeah. So um, so the death of Rhaenyra is coming. Um, as Rhaenyra is brought into the yard, Aegon really wastes little time, and I'm just going to read it. Um Dear brother, I had hoped that you were dead. After you, you are the elder. I am pleased to know that you remember that. It would seem we are your prisoners, but do not think that you will hold us long. My leal lords will find me. If they search the seven hells, mayhaps. So, following that, Aegon basically just immediately feeds her to his dragon. Without ceremony, takes her in the courtyard to Sunfire. They prick her breast to draw blood, and Sunfire eats her in six bites. Mm-hmm. She was 33 years old. It was the 10th month of the year, and she's dead. The Black's Scion is toast. So, a couple just little quick wrap-up notes. Uh, Aegon, her son, is still alive. Watched the whole thing. He's 10 years old. 10, ten years old, yeah. Watch the whole thing. Uh, he's kept as a hostage, so is Bela. Um, you know, th- still, we'll cover this a little bit in the next section, but there are still enemies in the field for, for Aegon, and he thinks that, uh, sorry, for Aegon II, and he thinks that Aegon third and Bela might prove, you know, to be worthwhile hostages, so that they keep them around. But, smart. Yeah, very smart. So Rhaenyra's dead. The Black's, uh, you know, leader succumbs. And uh, we do have a quick update on the dragon tally as well. Blacks, no dragons. Moondancer is dead. Moondancer gone. And the greens gained one because they found Sunfire. But barely. Mm -hmm. Like he's hanging by a thread. Like they say that he's basically stayed where he fell. Yeah. Which was in the kind of the courtyard courtyard of Dragonstone. Yeah. And... That's where all this took place, mm-hmm. because that's where Sunfire is. Yeah, and that's where Sunfire stand. Yeah, 
there are still obviously a few dragons at large. There's the cannibal, sheep stealer, and silverwing that are alive somewhere, we think, but we don't know where. Right. So that's the new dragon tally. <sighs> and with that, we'll move on to the last section here. Okay, yeah. Dragons born, dragons die. Sorry, dragonborn, dragons die. Yes. And this quote is very short. The king is dead. Long live the king. Yep. Let's see how all this ends up playing out. So... This is a mess. This is a bit of a mess. Stay with us here, guys. <laughs> the Greens have, in their minds, won the war because Rhaenyra is dead. However, they're on Dragonstone. They need to get back to King's Landing. There's a problem with that, and that problem is potentially – it's a potential problem – is the Valerion fleet. Now, Alan Valerion, Adam's little brother, uh, is now running the fleet at, at the ripe old age of 15 years yeah, 15. old. And the question is, is who would they support? Uh, of course, Adam fought loyally until the end for the blacks, but those same blacks had imprisoned Alan and Adam's uh, grandfather slash, slash father dad daddy -o. yeah yeah we're going with dad um, they had imprisoned Corliss uh, so what are they gonna do who are they gonna who are they gonna support um, and they eventually decide they need to they need to try to get Alan uh, what is it that they they eventually tell him that uh they tell him that they're that they're gonna kill Bela if he doesn't conform which is yep. like you've got a potential ally here threaten him good job because that's what you do that's what you do they're just idiots um let's see they also have so let's go to they also they also have you know the north and the riverlands you know supposedly amassing armies so they've got you know, there's there's still some threats that they know about out there. We can leave most of that for later, though. But yes, indeed. So yeah, they know that the Starks are coming down. Um, we know that there's these forces in the Riverlands that have been. They we've got uh, the Freys, we've got the Blackwoods, we've got now the Tullys yeah. have kind of entered all of this. Um, and so there's potential threats still out there. Now, we do have uh, perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel, because yeah. guess who's back from picking up uh, light bulbs in Dorne, right? Picking Buying up light toilet. bulbs? <laughs> <laughs> Buying toilet paper uh, while the war was going on. He was just washing his hair. <laughs> the Baratheons are back. Remember them? They're a great house in the Seven Kingdoms. They run the Stormlands. Maybe you've heard of them. Um, they, of course, hadn't really joined in much of the fighting because they were taking care of a problem in Dorne uh, with a, the, a vulture king had risen up. Now, vulture, king, vulture kings have, have 
sprung up throughout Westeros's history, usually from Dorne, to to cause problems, especially in the Stormlands. And the Baratheons were taking care of that rather than participating in the Dance of the Dragons. You know, I, I say it kind of cheekily, but I don't blame them for not getting involved in this whole soap opera. Why not stay as far away from it as you can, if you can? Yes and no. I mean, they are involved, right? I mean, they, you could argue that he started the whole thing. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't probably, but, you know, the way he the handled that Aemon's Lucerus thing kind of, kind of kicked this thing into another gear. Uh, there was a lot of posturing and letter writing, but that kind of started the real animosity. And, yeah, he, he kind of disappears after that. There's no mention of... Aemond actually getting married to this girl. I guess I assume it happened. Um, but they kind of don't... They've gone to all this trouble Maybe. to make this alliance, yeah. and it doesn't seem like they've gotten any benefit out of it at all. And it's almost like Boris Baratheon now is right. like, no dragons left? That's too bad, man. If there was, I'd skull fuck him, but <laughs> I guess I'll just take the city now. You know? So here we are. Here we are. They show up at King's Landing. Now, one... One benefit that the Baratheons had provided was protection for young Princess Chehera, right? Yeah. We do find out that um, uh, as we, we knew what happened to Aegon II, he ended up going to Dragonstone. We know what happened, the sad story of Maelor Targaryen, who was killed, uh, the, the youngest child of Aegon. Now, Princess Chehera was taken by a Kingsguard knight named uh, Willis, Willis Fell? Willis Fell. Fell. Yep. Yep. Uh, to... Uh, Storm's End where they did provide protection for the young princess so she's good she's alive so the Baratheons show up uh, ready to ready to to break into King's Landing right yeah, 4,000 so men with them yeah we return to the King's Landing situation where we know that we've got the three kings as they were. Uh, we've got the shepherd, we've got Game on Pale Hair, and we've got Tristan Truefire who's at the Red Keep. So, and we remember little Laris Strong, our buddy, Laris the Clubfoot, is currently working for Tristan Truefire. And they see the Baratheon show up across the Blackwater Bay there. The Bla the Baratheons haven't crossed over to King's Landing yet. They're on the other side of the Blackwater, where we know, remember, like Stannis Baratheon was, um, or would be many years later in that famous Battle of the Blackwater. So Laris, over on the other side in the Red Keep with Tristan, is like, guys, don't worry. I'll uh, I'll take care of this. I'll cruise across the water. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go talk this out with, with uh, Boris Baratheon. Yeah, the quote so he, from the book is, We do not have the strength to oppose such a host, sire, but perhaps words can succeed where swords must fail. Good pull. Thanks. Good pull on that one. Uh, Solaris, you know, it's a heavy burden, but he'll take on the responsibility. Yeah, he see really he, hates doing see it, what I'm he sure. Can do. Yeah. See what he can do. <clears throat> this fucking guy. <laughs> I love him. I just love him. So he grabs uh, Alicent Hightower and uh, Maester Orwile, and they cross Blackwater Bay to go and treat with Boris Baratheon, <clears throat> where they come to terms. Uh, what are those terms? So they agree that Ser Perkin the Flea 
and all of his knights would be pardoned. However, Tristan Truefire, as a pretender, would not be pardoned, which is quite tragic Sounds since fair. Tristan is kind of, he's been a puppet all along, basically, of Perkin the Flea, and he about to get thrown under the bus. Uh, after King's Landing is taken, King Aegon would be wed to Cassandra, Cassandra Baratheon, Boros's daughter, and then Laris will get a bride in all of this too, where marrying Floris, another of Baratheon's daughters. That's what this was all about. It was all about just... Laris getting Lady Floris as a bride. He concocted <laughs> this whole scheme of wars to get Lady. He had Floris. a crush on her. You know what I did for you? Yeah. Um, Laris and Boros, uh, they come to an agreement of pardoning. Corliss Valerion, but you know, Alicent doesn't like this, obviously. But they're like, you know what, you know, let's just do this for now. We need his ships, yeah. And you know, things might change later, and who knows if he'll, you know, uh, have a little accident or something, and something happens to him. So, all these are agreed to. The Baratheons take. The Baratheon forces, I should say, basically waltz into King's Landing, and it's easy, right? 4,000 yeah. men is more than enough to uh, take things over. Sir Perkin, as I mentioned before, turns on Tristan Truefire, and he is, Tristan is thrown in the dungeons to await judgment and punishment. Um, Boros Baratheon marches over to Visenya's High Hill and removes Game on Pale Hair and all of his uh, retinue, um, the sex workers that had been kind of propping him up, are all taken and imprisoned in King's Landing as well. And they, the sad little, the sad little scene of Gaiman being thrown, uh, who just turned five years old, just had his fifth birthday, thrown over the back of a horse crying as he's marched uh, to the Red Keep, right? <laughs> Yeah, I can just um, see my poor little Pippin. I, isn't it sad? And this whole time I'm like, you better not kill that effing kid. Yeah. You better not kill that kid. Yeah. And spoiler alert, they don't. They do not. <clears throat> and the shepherd, oh, this is kind of, this is just kind of sweet. He calls for men to defend him at the dragon pit. And this man who had once summoned 20,000 people or whatever gets 300. Yeah. Who show up to defend him. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, the, these people, he, he, he at one time had a rabble raised to fight literal dragons. Literal actual dragons. And now he can't get, you know, more than a few hundred to fight, you know, metaphorical stacks. Uh-huh. Uh, I love him. I couldn't help but think of uh, my new favorite MCU character, which is Korg from Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. He's funny. <laughs> Where he's like, I tried to start a revolution, but didn't print enough pamphlets, so hardly anyone turned up. Except for my mom and her boyfriend, who I hate. Oh, I wanted to start a revolution, but didn't print enough pamphlets, so hardly anyone turned up. <laughs> so... Maybe uh, the shepherd just didn't print enough pamphlets uh, to keep the revolution going. Perhaps not. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, he is he is taken down as well, and he's arrested. Um, amidst the rotting heads of all the dragons that had died at the dragon pit. Um, it's kind of weird, but so with all the threats removed, um, Aegon the Second returns, right? Yeah, he comes back to King's Landing, a triumphant reentry. Not really. The city is basically silent, um, and he is not well. Uh, as Scad mentioned, he is a broken man. He's got burn scarring over half his body. They say he was impotent at this point because of his injuries. He couldn't really walk. He's in constant pain. Um, but nevertheless, he returns and is kind of carried into the city. Uh, fun story, he arrives on a ship named Mouse, the Mouse, mm-hmm brings him in that was done by alan valerion um we of course can just imagine his sly little smile as he does that yes he wanted to make a triumphant re-entry into king's landing and is brought in on a little tiny ship called the mouse the mouse actually also his mother's nickname is his mother's nickname interesting yeah. that really cool. means but yeah he's kind of alan's way of just saying you know i'm still here yeah my family's right. important. Yep. Look what we're doing here. Yep. Um, so yeah. it, I was just going to say it's, it's interesting, you know, Aegon, I don't, maybe we're going to get there, but Aegon can't, he's, he's in so much pain. He can't even ascend the throne. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, the, like we react to Rhaenyra being cut to shreds by the throne, but this guy can't even, doesn't even have the strength to sit it at all. So right. like, also not a good sign if you're into like portents and things pay attention yeah to how these people sit or do not sit yeah on the throne but as you sit in the throne um let's let's talk about what uh, what happens to some of these people so let's tie up some of these some of these little threads here of the three kings tristan truefire is brought before king aegon and is sentenced to death as you do, um, Tristan goes out, you know, he goes out bravely though. I like how Tristan goes out. All he requests, even as he kind of glances over at Sir Perkin the flea, free as an eagle, uh, <laughs> Tristan requests to be knighted before his execution. And King Aegon grants him that. He's knighted by Sir Marston Waters, and then Alfred Broom beheads him using black fire. Yeah, what a disgrace um, that is. The, they're right? letting Alfred Broom use black fire. Come on. Like, what did he do to earn it's a that? a disgrace. Why does he get to swing it? Yeah. Ugh. <sighs> Anyways. Um, the, the, the name that he's given is Tristan Truefire. And Just Tristan beheaded. Fire, right? They take the true out. Oh, they take the yeah. Excuse me, I meant to say that he was Tristan Truefire before, and then he's called Tristan Fire. Which um, is kind of an interesting, I don't know, nod maybe to the Blackfire thing later. Right, Blackfire. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, on, little cute game on. Five years old. He is made a ward to the crown. Yeah. And. 
he ends up resurfacing later as we learn. We'll talk we'll probably mention him next episode, right? Yeah, probably. Becomes a little companion of Aegon the Third. Uh but his mother and a few of the other ladies um who had propped him up are executed. The shepherd has his tongue removed with hot pincers after he declares, we shall meet in hell before this year is done. Yeah. He had that same also, same curse that he gave to Boros earlier. He did say that to Boros oh, Baratheon. He likes, he likes that one. When he was arrested. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll come back to that little statement by him. Yeah. And then he was killed in a rather creative way. They took him and the few supporters that he had left, and they chained them to poles leading up to the dragon pit. Um, they're all kind of – so there's this big line of prisoners chained to poles with the shepherd at the top up at the dragon pit. And then uh, as they carried Aegon, uh, Aegon was carried up the hill, and as he passed by each person chained to the pole, he would light that person on fire. They were covered in pitch, and he would just light one, and then he'd light the other, and it kind of lit his way up to the dragon pit. Kind of not that different from what Danny sees on her way to Marine. Danny, right? Yeah. yeah. You think of Danny there. <clears throat> uh, and then he kills the shepherd when he gets to the top so those guys are dead good riddance man um a little note on corliss valerion he does receive a full pardon and a place on the small council um well that's what's offered to him i should say right he's offered by <clears throat> aegon and his men a full pardon and a place on the small council he counters with he wants pardons for everyone who fought for the blacks yeah he wants Aegon the Younger to be married to Aegon's daughter, Jahera. He want, and he wants Bela Targaryen freed. Um, Alicent Hightower doesn't like this, but again, Laris the, the Clubfoot proposes a, let's just agree to this for now, and then, you know, we'll reassess when the need arises. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Yeah, it's just kind of a quick footnote. You know, Corliss says that he wants the the marriage pact for Aegon and Jahera kind of as a way to heal. To unite the... To, yeah. to, you know, to, to unite these families that have caused this conflict and kind of bring them together and end it. Mm-hmm. Corliss really does seem to have kind of the best head here and maybe even <sighs> concern for people. Yeah. Gasp. Shock and awe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We raved about him last episode, and I'd love to rave about him again. Yeah. Anyways, um, still though, so so Aegon is back in King's Landing. He seems like he's kind of gotten the city back under control. He's taking care of these three kings. He's got Corlys Valerion and Alan Valerion and the rest of the fleet back uh, on his side, <clears throat> but threats remain. Right? There's still stuff going on out there. Yep. Why? What could possibly be going wrong? Well, first of all, one thing that he did not do very well is he didn't uh, completely pardon all of these <clears throat> black supporters. 
Right. Rosby, Stokeworth, Duskendale all had to pay heavy ransoms for their uh, support of the blacks and provide hostages. This, of course, only hardened their hearts even further against the king. Um, not the peaceful transition that uh, Corliss Valerion was thinking of. And I would say without dragons, you know, it's it's a little easier for them to have those hardened hearts. Mm-hmm. And to plot and think yep. and you know, yeah, my whole family won't get burned to a crisp if I do something like this. The Death Stars have been destroyed. Yeah. So. Mm. And then, of course, as I mentioned already, those Starks and those Aarons and those Riverlanders are still out there, yeah. and they're still not very happy. <clears throat> Uh, so what do they want to do? So it's basically at this point Corliss Valerion versus the small council. Yeah, everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Corlo, Corliss proposes reconciliation. Let's give pardons. Let's start to heal. Let's establish peace. And let's let's move forward. Boros Baratheon wants to continue fighting. Let's get the Lannister forces, let's get Hightower forces, and let's destroy these Starks, these Aarons, and these Riverlanders. Tyland Lannister, yes, Tyland Lannister is still alive. Uh, much worse for the wear. Uh, they, he proposes hiring sellswords to come in and finish the job. You've got King Aegon, who would not honor the Aegon and Jaehera betrothal. First of all, he's confident that he is going to have kids with Cassandra Baratheon. Um, he says that he could. He says that Aegon the Younger could either take the Black or he could remain at court as a eunuch. <laughs> Obviously, Generous. so that he couldn't have children and usurp him one day. Uh, but Aegon reneges on um, the Corlys's claim. Uh, yeah, Corliss's kind of thing, terms. stipulation term that he had of this betrothal. Um, Tyland Lannister, he encourages just Aegon the Younger's execution. Just kill him and you won't have to even worry about him anymore. Corliss is done with these fools. He is done with everyone. He is just, he's had it. Fools, liars, oath breakers, he calls them, right there in the small council chambers. And he storms off. He is finished, right? And who steps in who do you to think? fix things? Who is the fixer? Larys the Clubfoot. Of course. He, he talks to everybody. He's like, listen, we need this guy. We got to keep his ships. So let's just make peace with him. Let's do what he wants. Let's agree to this betrothal. And as Laris always says, we can go back on it later if we have to. So they're like, okay, let's do this. So he goes to Corliss and he's like, listen, they're sorry. We'll do what you want. The marriage is back on. Oh, but also Corliss, uh, I should let you know. Aegon's going to murder you later. What? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Corliss is pissed, of course, and he is ready to storm out of there and just go kill Aegon himself in front of everyone. 
Laris counsels him with a, quote, better way. What is that better way, I wonder? I mean, he is so good at playing both sides. He's literally plotting to this better way. I guess I'm going to spoil it. He's literally plotting to kill the king with a man that he has betrayed multiple times. Yep. Like, he has balls of solid rock, to put it in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves terms. Uh, I mean, goodness gracious. Like, how do you have the confidence to do that when you've betrayed this guy, like, multiple times? Because he's the clubfoot man. Yeah. Yeah. He's something special. Um, Another minor threat we'll just bring up is that Reyna Reyna Targaryen uh, at the Vale, remember, she went to the Vale to be protected. Uh, She has a dragon's egg that hatches. Yeah, she does. Name's the dragon Morning. Morning is broken. Yep. Yeah, and and earlier in this chapter, Sunfire did actually succumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's dead, and Morning is born. So, you know, in addition to these numbers of troops amassing, there's also symbolically bad news with Morning being here now, and the drag, the, you know, the Blacks having this dragon. So they get seven dragon egg, dragon eggs sent to King's Landing, right? One... Yep. Wonder what Aegon's happened to those. Obsessed. Aegon's obsessed with hatching a new dragon. Chooses seven. And well, he ought to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we get much information about these seven eggs, but are they still somewhere at King's Landing? Right, and it Might says that Aegon the Sixth find one. Huh? 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 I believe it was a maester that chose those seven eggs. Yep. So if there was. We talk about later on the dragons that are born are all sickly and yeah. pretty soon the dragons are going to die out. And you have to wonder if there's that anti-dragon mm. sentiment among the maesters. If if that maester chose, he's like, yeah, these are the seven best. And really, they're nothing. Or maybe um, he uh, injected something into them to make them better. Yeah, right. Exactly. Who knows what's going on there? Those maybe another story for another day. Yeah. Um, he's oh, obsessed... I'm... I will say too, just about morning, real quick. It's a little weird. We get basically zero stories about morning over the years that come. Spoilers for future yep. episodes. I mean, she's she's the only remaining dragon that must be seen occasionally, like at court and stuff. And she gets no no mentions at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a little weird. Like I started looking at timelines of like. A Song of Ice and Fire, they say that she's only barely big enough to carry uh, uh, Rayana uh, at five years old. Uh-huh. And Drogon is carrying Danny at like two, two. years old. Yeah. Now dragons grow at different rates and stuff, but usually they're, and, and we know the dragons have been kind of getting smaller. Yeah, I wonder if this is part of that decline. It yeah. might be, but they also usually attribute, no, usually, they have attributed that before to growing up in, like, a limited space. And right. It seems like morning is growing up, you know, free. Seems, maybe. Anyway, that could be just genetics working in, but I also wondered if maybe this was part of the five-year gap 
thing that, that George was going to have. He was going to have a five-year gap. And maybe right. he intended for Drogon to be five after mm-hmm. this five-year gap and and carry Danny away. And, yeah, that's potential. And not... But then he's like, yeah. And, and then he's like, oh, well, maybe they won't notice. <laughs> oh, he hit a growth spurt. Yeah. yeah. Drogon hit puberty early. Anyway, sorry for that. Oh, that's bar. all right. So we've been mentioning the uh, Starks and the Aaron forces and the Riverland forces, and all of this is finally kind of happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Riverland forces, led by a force of Tullys and Blackwoods and Freys, we've got young bloody Ben Blackwood, who's 13 and apparently a maniac. Yeah. Uh, You've got um, oh, which Tully is Kermit Tully? Uh, yeah, it's Elmo and then Kermit. Yeah, right. And then Kermit's younger brother Oscar. And then you've got Sabitha Frey. Uh, you've got Alley Black Alley Blackwood. They are all coming up the King's Road. They're they're coming over. They're they're gonna take on uh, Old Aegon there. Um, Boros Baratheon goes out marches out to meet them and it's winter time conditions are wet they're muddy they're gross they meet on the king's road big fight uh boros baratheon does not handle the whole battle incredibly well he orders a charge under these wet and muddy conditions and uh, they crash against the shield wall of of the riverland host and basically it doesn't go well uh, as they're in the midst of fighting bloody Ben Blackwood emerges from the trees with more men and they flank them and they're killing everybody. Um, Boros calls for his reserves and these reserves were Rosby Stokeworth and Hayford men. <laughs> and as soon as he calls for them, they turn their cloak and actually turn against Boros and start killing him. Um, and totally Boros, brave-hearted him. Yeah. Right. Boros dies in, uh, in this battle. Killed by Kermit. That's right. Kermit, Kermit does the deed. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, Coralus Valerian was right again. And it, he would have just it, made peace. Yeah. And and it's the same lesson Rhaenyra should have learned. Like, mm-hmm. treat, pe- treat your people better. Right? Yep. Like, it's not stunning that these things happen. <laughs> just, yeah, us looking at her like, you idiots. Yeah. Absolute idiots. So these victorious Riverlanders are advancing on King's Landing. Yeah, they are. Uh, we've got Cregan Stark, who's not too far behind. He's coming south very quickly. And Aaron troops are arriving by ship. So all these things happening. Um, and Aegon's feeling the pressure. Right? What's the uh, the Billy Joel song? Cannot handle pressure. But you will come to a place where the only thing you feel are loaded guns in your face, and you'll have to deal with pressure. That that is that is exactly the song. Ooh, fun uh, side note here. 
We haven't had very many sidebars this episode. I'm going to give you a big one right now. All right. Uh, about to check off a bucket list item, my friend. Check off? I just, I am. I bought tickets to see Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden in November. Why are you going to be in New York in November? Because of that concert. Oh, wow. But hold on. Didn't, I I feel like he came to Salt Lake like a couple years ago and you were like, eh. Uh, Did this not happen? I don't, I've already seen him live before uh-huh. in Salt Lake. Oh, it's the Madison Square Garden thing that's driving. But him. I there's see. just a whole, you know, Billy Joel's from New York. Yeah. Historic venue like Madison Square Garden, which. No, I get it. I, I get it. I hear is kind of a terrible place to see a concert. I usually don't like big arena shows. Yeah. But, you know, who knows how much longer Billy's going to be around. The chance to see him at Madison Square Garden. So. Spent way too much money on tickets, uh, but Padme's never been to New York, and she's always wanted to, so this is beneficial for both of us. She finally gets her New York trip, Yeah, and uh, I get to see Billy at Madison Square Garden. Oh, good for you, man. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited. You know, a Billy playing in, in New York is about as frequent as me breathing, uh, <laughs> but still, I imagine it is special in some way. Yeah. He's got like a residency at Madison Square yeah. and he plays there all the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he. I think sometimes he wakes up at 11 a.m. and he's like, hey, can I do a show there in an hour? And they're like, yeah, come on by. And then tickets sell out. Yeah. An hour later. And they're like, I mean, sure, we were set up from last night. Come on by. Same set list. Yeah. All right, all right. But it's special for me. Skip. No, no, I think it is special. I think I think I imagine, if it's, especially if it's your first time seeing him in New York, I imagine it is special. Yeah. I don't yeah. mean I don't mean to diminish or second guess your choice. So that'll be in November. That's exciting. Why Friends did that New York. Why did that come out? Yeah. Oh, just because uh, you were singing because pressure. I started doing pressure. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> but let's talk about we'll uh, perhaps Laris's finest act, Laris the Clubfoot's finest hour. So feeling all this pressure. Aegon, being influenced by other members of his court, has to do something to stall this, these, uh, these enemies marching on, advancing from the west and from the north. So what they decide on is, here's what we'll do. Uh, I think this is Allison's idea, first of all. I think it is. Uh, she Grab little Aegon there and cut off one of Aegon's ears and then say that you will cut off a body part for every mile that the enemy advances. Maybe bring old Bela into this as well. Aegon being Aegon is like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So uh, that's when Laris and Corliss kind of tip their caps to each other and decide we are going to do this. Um, And uh, Aegon, after making this decree about little Aegon, decides he's going to go to the Castle Sept, which is kind of a weird place for him to go. Usually, after holding court, he's taken just to his chambers, but he decides he's going to go to the Castle Sept. 
they prepare for that. Um, in the meantime, remember Laris and Corliss have tipped their hats to each other and it sets in motion all of these different little acts. We have Perkin the Flea who goes and kills Alfred Broom saying we have a new king now. Um, Tom Tangletongue and Tom Tanglebeard who we haven't talked a lot about this episode but they were instrumental in the taking of Dragonstone and uh, kind of lackeys of King Aegon. They were the They're two fishermen as well. on the skiff that Aegon went on. They sure were. Sorry, yep. I didn't use the names. I should have. Oh, it's totally fine. Um, other other kind of supporters of Aegon are killed covertly. Life kind of is going on the same at the Red Keep. Like anyone who's not involved in this plot is none the wiser. But quietly, all these different supporters of Aegon are just getting knifed in the back. Back and, and uh, little Bela Targaryen is spirited away by Larys's agents. All these different things. Sounds a lot like the fall of Dragonstone. Huh. Hmm. Some of the same players, even. So, Aegon, then, he's none the wiser, and he is, uh, he climbs into, he's placed into his litter, and uh, he, by, uh, escorted by Kingsguard Knight Giles Belgrave, and he has some wine in his litter as he's taken to the Castle Sept. They arrive at the Castle Sept. Belgrave opens the curtains to the litter, and Aegon is dead. Poisoned. Blood on his lip. Blood on his lip. 24 years old. His reign lasted two years. Couldn't happen to a nicer fella. Right? Pour one out. For Aegon too. Into my mouth. <laughs> Rot down my gullet. I'm not wasting alcohol on that dude. On that dude? Yeah. Um, it was Belgrave that reported later that Aegon appeared ashen. He appeared sicker than normal as he was getting into the litter. Uh, so that makes me wonder if maybe something had happened, some slow-acting poison before he even got into mm. the litter, but I don't know that it matters. Um Belgrave may have just been saying that to cover his own butt after. Is Belgrave the knight? Yeah. Yeah, it says there's a little Jamie reference in there. It says it would be unthinkable for a knight of the King's Guard to take the life of the king he had sworn to protect. Yeah, a little yes. twist there. Yeah, Of course it would, George. Unthinkable. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the final act of the... Of, of uh, the dances we're covering it. Aegon III is wed as per the agreement to Jehera Targaryen and is crowned king on the seventh day of the seventh month of the year 131. That 7-7 seven, seven is, is seen as kind of a special date, a date of significance by members leaders of the faith and so uh happens then but man there's a lot that we can talk about but that's kind of the end of it yeah uh, maybe we throw in one little last dragon tally so just to kind of cap it off mm-hmm. so there is mourning and she's on the black green side since the houses are united now right smack uh, in the middle newly hatched too small to ride and i presume i guess part of court with reyna who's on both their sides and then there's three mm-hmm. dragons still at large. The Cannibal, Sheep, Stealer, and Silverwing. And that is all the dragons in the world. Four. That's it. Totes. Four totes. 
I suppose that leads us into this conversation then about the legacy of the Dance of the Dragons. Totally. And and uh, let's return to this this thing about waste. Mm-hmm. The waste of dragons, the waste of of people. Um, yeah. Not only, I mean, Targaryens first of all. Let's talk about Targaryens, right? So many potentially good Targaryens <laughs> killed in this thing. I think of Are uh, they Jace. I don't know, but I think Jace seemed like he could have yeah, potentially been. been a good egg. Yeah, all those strong kids could have potentially been good eggs. Uh, Darren Targaryen seemed like he could have ended up okay. Um, but yeah, maybe this whole this whole soap opera of the Targaryens ends up basically wiping out almost everybody and i went go ahead sorry i went and looked back at the uh at some of the charts the family lines and everything basically the only line that comes out of this is daemon targaryens daemon and rhaenyra yeah and then um with uh little aegon and then Damon's first, uh, the children from his first marriage, which was Raina and Bela. Well, and they it's, of course marry and have kids too. It's it's also Aegon and Helena's daughter's line, right? I mean, their blood remains. It's not the male dominant side. And then she's going to end up dying. Though. She dies, but they have kids. Jahera? Oh no, they don't. You're right. She dies like Sarah's comes back. That's right. Next episode, she gone. Yeah. Right. So right. like the only line that really continues through all, uh, yeah. how many kids did Jaharis have yeah. that we talked uh, about a few episodes back? Basically wiped out. We've got Sarah's Targaryens who potentially has some bastard kids yeah. floating around out there. But really Rhaenyra and Daemon are it and their progeny. And, and one of the things uh, we, uh, we talk about is uh, well i think we mentioned it a few episodes ago perhaps the best way to grow up targaryen is to get stolen off of a boat and grow up somewhere else <laughs> yeah like Viserys because is right Viserys now. is the only one that comes back and lives through the thing really yep Jahera yeah, exactly throws herself off and kills herself on some spikes or is murdered aegon is brutally scarred from everything that he's witnessed over these years and in, in his youth um, uh-huh and so Viserys is really kind of the only one to like live through it. You're right. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's it. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yeah. Through all of this, it's just such again waste. Yeah. Waste. Not to mention, especially all these other people throughout Westeros, from high lords to small folk, that end up having to pay with their lives just because. The Targaryens can't get along. Yeah. It's, uh, and they end up uniting the houses in a move that they could have made. They could have had that done much earlier if they'd have just, you know, dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. This just, could have worked. Yeah. Just yeah, terrible. And, and the other themes, too, is just, and again, it's something I come back to from Dunkin' Egg. That's where I really had the realization I mean, I, I I think I always kind of thought it, but just like to the to the degree that I now think it, it's just like the Targaryens are awful. They're elitist, yep. terrible fucking people. 
mm-hmm. almost all of them. And Completely Danny may agree. be an exception, but I'm not really even sure about that. And and yeah, there are exceptions, right? Maybe Jaharis, you know, although he could have been elitist too. He was certainly an effective ruler, and I think he cared about his people, but I don't know. They're just... None of these people, none of these people care about those below them. None of them. Except for Baylor F and Breakspear. Baylor Breakspear. I don't know how that ended up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're conditioned to, this is going on with with the show right now, even though I don't want to talk about the show. We're conditioned to thinking that, like, a Targaryen needs to take the throne, right? They're yeah. the rightful heirs to the Iron Throne and rulers of Westeros. Yeah. And, you know, every dragon is precious and we need to keep these dragons alive and everything. No, we don't. And do – yeah, exactly. No, do we, we don't. They're, they're awful for people. They keep is, them in fear. Dragons, they keep them subjected. Yeah. They keep are dragons them... really that good for Westeros in no. the end? I, well, I mean, what you have to do is look objectively at what the kingdoms were like before they were united under Aegon. And basically mm-hmm. they were fighting and warring all the time. Yep. Right? And so not good. Uh, you know, and we had that in our in our world too, right? With, you know, warring kingdoms and stuff. And so maybe, maybe not. But But your argument is, you know... It's almost a sports metaphor. You know, your argument is a playing field where everyone can kind of scrape and claw and fight for a better life, or one in which you are made to be docile and commanded by a select group of elite people. Elite mm-hmm. because they have weapons. You know, and I I don't think that's better. Right. What you hope is that the people, you know, fighting and scraping in the world evolve to some degree and make the world better but which the first men and the children of the forest had done that after years and years of fighting yeah the andals wrecked that but um yeah yeah is it still more to tell about all that first first men children stuff but um i guess we'll see but uh no, I don't. I don't think it is, and and I think you could you could actually pull this story, um, you know, like you were saying with the show, but but also for the books going forward, is is what we see here in the dance meant to show us and teach us the lesson of, you know, don't 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 focus on the Iron Throne and who's in charge because none right. of it's good. Yeah, none of it's good. The Iron this... Throne isn't worth fighting for. Yeah. And and let's maybe also we talk about this in our in the podcast all the time. Maybe focus on the real enemy up there that could be amassing, and uh, right. you know destroying humanity as a whole. Um, focus uh-huh. on that maybe, and don't worry so much about the throne. But uh, I don't know if that's his message or not. But there's the, the amount of atrocity committed for this chair is insane. Yep. And, and it ends up not working out for either of them. No. Hindsight is twenty twenty, my friend. Yep. Uh, any other? Uh, well, I guess. I, I, well, I remember. I remember Beth asked us at the very beginning when we started covering the dance. She said, "You've got to come back to the question at the end of 
so whose corner are you in, the greens or the blacks? And uh, I had an answer at the time. Uh, do you want do Do you want to answer that question? I can't. Yeah, neither. <laughs> yeah, I I I, I was. I, I suppose I still am technically technically uh, on the side yeah, of the see. blacks because that's what Viserys said, and that's where it should have landed. But Rhaenyra's. I don't think she'd have been a good she ruler. She sucks, dude. Yeah, she and sucks. She, she, I mean, you know, butterfly effect and what have you. Like, maybe she'd have been better if she'd have been given what she thought what she deserved and the whole right. Stannis argument None of, of it, like, maybe of she'd be happened. a good ruler if she was given to her, you know. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't look like it. She she shows over and over again that she doesn't know how to, you know, reward people that do good things. She doesn't know how to take care of good of people. She doesn't care about people. So... It's hard. She's not me. willing to make the the difficult decisions or take on the difficult tasks. She doesn't do anything her herself. Exactly. Anything. That's what I'm at. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like she's awful. So blacks, yeah. but with a huge asterisk. I think it would have ended in suckiness anyway. So maybe Allison wasn't crazy to try to do something about it. I would have. I would have just been Corliss Valerian's. Yes, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude yep. is awesome. So I guess that puts me on the side of the blacks for most of yeah, it. Yeah, not a lot going on with, in A Song of Ice and Fire with the Valerians. Arryn Waters is a the bastard of Driftmark, so he's like a Valerian, kind of. Uh, the current uh, leader of House Valerian is a young boy. Um, Manfred, mm -hmm. I think, was his father, and he died. Or maybe he that is the boy, I can't remember now, but... Um, you know they're not doing a whole lot. It's kind of it's kind of interesting. You want you read these histories, and you're like, yeah, I want that house to do something, but the Valerians have been very quiet. Yep. Should have done. Yep, my... They're no longer the naval power that they were. Should have done my panel on the Valerians instead of the High Towers. Huh? Well, you got something for next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, we talked about coming back to Laris the clubfoot sure. um he'll meet his demise in the next episode yeah uh but i i don't know there's too much more to say about him um well what I... was what was he in it for all along was he in it just to wipe out targaryens maybe out of revenge for what amon did yeah i don't know and if he was, it, it seems like it's, it was just uh, – he didn't have any type of discretion over blacks or greens. Yeah. Just like eventually kill them all, kill as many as I can before I go out myself. Right before – right before the uh, – uh, but right before Ice and Fire Con uh, – again, thanks for putting Ice and Fire Con on, Tara. It's amazing. Uh, right before Ice and Fire Con, there was a thread going around about – an episode about the strongs as a family and that maybe there are more of them out there. And I can't remember who the content creator was now. It might've been Joe magician. Um, or uh, I don't, I don't remember now I need to look it up, but I wonder if he dives into Laris's motivations and what he was after. I'd be interested in, in looking into that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels it feels almost like he's just kind of riding the tide and making the decision that he thinks will put him put him in the best light in the moment. But at the same time, he's content to be beheaded, like you said. So 
It doesn't feel like he's... My job here is done. Do your worst. Yeah. Take my yeah. foot away from me. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's almost like he's making the, like you said, the decision in the moment to get him to the next moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not, I just don't see much of a long game. It's like get from moment to moment to moment until this is drawn a, a Rogue One but, reference, until the moments are spent. Oh, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> I think uh, she says chances, until the chances are spent. I don't remember. But, yep, and then we'll take the next chance, and then the next, until all the chances uh-huh. are spent. Yeah. So, uh, maybe. Uh, I'm just, he, just looking at everything that he's doing, I, I don't see anything more, and topped off by the execution. Yeah. It's just hard to believe. I, I hear you. That he's got no, no grander scheme. Okay, here's here's the tinfoil. Okay. Here's the here's the tinfoil. His father, Lionel Strong, former hand of the king, yep. studied at the Citadel once, mm-hmm. where he was indoctrinated with the whole anti-magic, anti-Targaryen, anti-dragon conspiracy stuff that's going on obviously mm-hmm. at the citadel right because so that's Hightower, where it started yep the whole purpose then of the strongs going to king's landing harwin everybody was to undermine house targaryen it was a whole long game harwin had planned to seduce rhaenyra dilute the targaryen line with strong blood it was all just a big part of the game and laris was just keeping that going that's, a, that's a, some good tinfoil. Yep. There it is. Just thought of it right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't... <laughs> and this is saying something. I don't have anything better. I mean... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I looked back historically to see if there's like any evidence of how strong harboring resentments against House Targaryen, and there's really nothing there. They're fact, a fairly the new house, aren't took, they? Yeah, they're they're fairly new, and the Targaryens took pretty good care of the family. Yeah, um, we had Lucamore Strong the Lusty, who was a member of the King's Guard and was gelded and sent to the Wall. Yeah, but... he uh, he was sleeping with people, right? He was yeah. Uh... He ended up having like 16 kids yeah. or something. But that's like it. Other than that, the Targaryens and the Strongs got along pretty well. So, uh, of course, other than Amond coming in and wiping out the whole Strong line. Yeah. So who knows, man? Did we... Uh... I can't believe I'm coming back to this, but did we ever hear what happened with Alice Rivers? She comes up later. All right. um, we'll cover it in a future episode then. Yeah, she's she's around still. Yeah, she kind of gets a whole. She's around thing and still going. forty. Yeah, <laughs> forever forty. Yeah, uh, and apparently pregnant with Amon's baby. So right. that's why I brought it up. Yeah. But we will hear about her during uh, Aegon the Third's regency. Yeah, a little bit. All right. Well, shall we wrap it up? I got, I got nothing more to say. Nothing more. Me neither. Uh, the king is dead. Long live the king.
Mm-hmm. You got a sign-off quote? Um, yeah. <laughs> this is Matt. Uh, just signing off. This is Matt just saying goodnight with a with a quote from from Dave Grohl in the Foo Fighters song "The Pretenders." Um, the song is called "The Pretender." He says, "What if I say I'm not like the others? What if I say I'm not just another one?" The wheel is spinning me. It's never ending. It's the same old story. Hmm. That spinning wheel. History is a wheel. Uh, mine is uh, a, a quote from Avengers Endgame. Uh, hmm. And a thank you to my buddy Matt, who was very patient with me as I worked through technology problems tonight. I love you 3000, Matt. I love you 3000. <laughs> 2001, buddy. 3000. Hey. Stop. Right. Okay, you love me more. Right. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> talk Tonight. to you. Uh, talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Right. Do you know if her Nancy Drew stuff is like uh, kid friendly? You know what? I haven't read the Nancy Drew stuff. I don't know. I'm gonna check it out because. I know my daughter, Leia's, you know, way into Kelly, and Kelly sent her some stuff, and there was a note on a couple of the stuff she sent Lily of to me saying, maybe wait on this for Lily. For Lily. <laughs> <laughs> was that the Misfit stuff or the Gem stuff? Uh, no, surprisingly, it wasn't that. It was the um, it was the Hawkeye stuff. Oh yeah. She said, maybe wait on this one a little bit. So uh, I'm going to check out the Nancy Drew and see if that's a wait on or a do now because my daughter. My daughter, like she, she reads through all the trades that she has, which she's got three or four of them by Kelly, and then she just starts them over and reads them again. Oh, that's awesome, and it's it's really cool. So, well, I'll she ask, definitely I'll would ask love Kelly new stuff. What, uh, what she thinks about it, but uh, I can probably also get her to send one over with uh, another nice note. I would bet. Beautimus, beautimus. Yeah. You guys probably didn't need to hear that whole conversation, but Matt and I never talk, so we're having it right now. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? As I've been reading this Fire and Blood stuff, there's a lot of stuff that makes you wonder, you know, did George put out Fire and Blood strategically around the time that the show's ending? Because the show is arriving at a lot of points that could mirror some happenings in Fire and Blood. You and I might have to talk about it later. Um, But it is interesting if this is kind of George's way of still saying this is my story you know yeah interesting. um i don't know but well if it, uh, if it no, mirrors stuff that's happening in the show then that would be kind of like supporting the direction of the show right potentially yeah mm. or allowing george to say like see this is how i you know this was my idea kind of mm. oh i see oh i see well yeah i don't know yeah interesting I don't know if he wants it to. I don't know if he wants any credit for the direction the show's going, though. <laughs> you know, it's a very weird thing. I, I, I mean, I think he's proud of it, but at the same time, I think he, like any creator, he probably wants more control, and he doesn't really have it. So, I, I bet it's a. I bet it's a very mixed feeling thing for him, to be honest. I mean, it he's gives him like proud. twenty million dollars a year or something. So, like, it's hard to hate it too much. I bet. Right. But, yeah. Hey, Kalisar, let's talk about some of the songs that we uh, sampled tonight. The first was called Pressure by Billy Joel. It's from his 82 album, 
1982 album that is called The Nylon Curtain. Oh, Billy's amazing. And I'm going to see him in Madison Square Garden in November. And then uh, the song that we used at the end of the episode there was called The Pretender. It's by the Foo Fighters from their 2007 album, Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. Wow, it's been over 10 years since that album came out. Uh, It's a good one. Kalisar, as always, stay savage, and we'll see you next time.